offensive zone right circle. Colton holds. Shoots score! Colton! Ross Colton! He makes it 2-0 Lightning with 10.56 left. For Stone, here he comes. Working left side, he shoots. He scores! Mark Stone! He wins it in overtime. 3-2 Golden Knights. The captain delivers his fifth goal of the playoffs. Davey's still on it to David. Jonathan David! Make it two! Jonathan David makes it two on the night. Canada is going through. We'll see you in Haiti. Now Simeon lifts one in the air to right center, and this should do. And again, a night that had some pretty good highs for the Blue Jays at times ends in a 6-1 defeat. How many times have I come on the radio the morning after a Blue Jays loss and just been, like, truly miserable about it? I don't think I have yet this year. And there have been a some handful, reasons a handful, to be. A handful of times you've been miserable about the Jays' loss. Well, there have been... They've thrown away a half dozen games now, and I'm going to include last night's game Ooh. as um, as a throwaway. I, I you have two of the biggest offensives offenses in the league, and you have a one run game. I just uh, it didn't make sense to start off, but um, well pitched game. Robbie Ray was uh, I thought was excellent. 13 strikeouts, no walks. How many guys have done that? Like it, it's got to be only a handful of Jays pitchers that, I mean, even 13 strikeouts, right? Stroman's the last guy to, to yes. kind of do that without, without a walk. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty impressive. Um, the bats aren't going to show up every day. Like I understand everyone's upset and talking about how they have to get a run and everyone's mentioning Vladdy and Bo. Like I, I just, I, I, at, there's going to be but, times during the season you don't get it. No, and I agree with you 100%. But why it stings is because of the work you got from Robbie Ray and the fact that with maybe one exception, you had the White Sox starting pitcher, Carlos Rodon, on the ropes every single inning. Yeah. And the Blue Jays had a couple of base runners on and and nobody out. Teoscar Hernandez looked lost in his first two at-bats. Randall Gritchick behind him didn't get it done, and they just continued to leave runs on the table. I mean, Jonathan Davis's sacrifice fly in the second inning was the lone run that they scored. It felt like even in that second inning, they could have scored more than the one that they did. And so Rodon kept getting out of these jams and this game continued on at one nothing blue jays and robbie ray who was absolutely awesome robbie ray earned the right last night to cough up a bomb and not have it kill him because robbie ray every now and then is gonna hang a slider or he's gonna cut it to center with a fastball and he's gonna get tagged 400 feet the other way and it happened in the seventh inning and a one nothing lead like that evaporates. Nobody's talking about that. Nobody's talking about that if the Jays did the damage off of Rodon that they should have. The Blue Jays last night stranded nine runners on base and for, were one for 12. One for 12 with runners in scoring position. That means that 12 Blue Jays hitters 
came to the plate last night, Ziggy, with someone on second and or third base, and they got one hit. They had the White Sox pitchers on the ropes all night, didn't get it done, and then, and this is another discussion that we need to have if you truly believe they are a playoff contending team, in a 1-1 game in the bottom of the eighth inning, Trent Thornton, followed by Carl Edwards Jr. Playoffs? We haven't seen a blow-up like that since Mount St. Helens in 1980. What a deep-dive reference that was. But that volcano is still erupting, man. Like, you... Charlie Montoyo's trying to manage this bullpen. He used Dolis to get out of the seventh inning. He doesn't want to go to Chatwood because Chatwood's been a bag of hammers for the last two weeks, and you can't run your closer, Jordan Romano, out there in the eighth. Who does he have to go to who he trusts? Man, uh, they left one on the table last night, a totally winnable game. The offense crushed them. And then the bullpen, you're using low-leverage guys in high-leverage situations. Never good. Never good. Yes. Yeah, so why not leave Ray in again? That's the whole – that's what everyone's going to say this morning. Why not leave him in? And I, don't – I don't like it in the morning. Don't say it. Say it during the game. Like, the, I, I feel like so many people wait to see what happens. So many Jays fans, it's like people talking to me, messaging me the next day, how do you not leave him in? Well, message me when he comes out. Don't message me after the bullpen gets a shot at, and then you you sound like a genius for, oh, yeah, great time to take out Robbie Ray last night, and then you go to the bullpen, great moves by my toy. Like, tell me the night, tell me when it's happening. So that's the one thing. There's obviously no trust in Mesa and Castro at this point. None. And yet Mesa's been better in his last couple of appearances. Trent Thorne, that hasn't, he hasn't been in that. Like, when was the last time Trent Thorne has been in that situation this year? He should never be in that situation. He just shouldn't. He's a middle innings, you know, he he eats innings. That's, that's who he is. That's, that's what he's been for the Jays. And he's been fairly good at it this year. Um, And my other thing, and this is something, you know, we can, we can discuss later in the show. And um, I know we've got, uh, we've got Ben on the show. We've got Dan Shulman on the show. Let's, I want to like, do you not bring Pearson in at this point and have him go to the bullpen? I know we kind of touched on it uh, a number of weeks ago, but is, would that hurt his development at this point? Like, is it worth it for the Jays to make the playoffs or make a playoff push? Cause these wins count exactly the same as they do at the end of the season. Is it worth it to bring a, a young guy in who you want to be part of the top of your rotation to make the playoffs? Like I, I just think the benefits, you know, I think the benefits are worth it for this Jays team and where they're at right now. I think Pearson, if you don't know what he is and you don't know if he can be a reliable starter at this point, you bring him into the bullpen and you have him part of the organization. You have him get you some wins because right now with the bullpen, it's these are the ones you can't throw away. And I, my thing about the game and throwing them like – and losing one like last night, and and I, I think we were, I think we think the same thing about what happened. Like, is it the fact that it's Robbie Ray, and you're like, okay, he's been good, but he's been better than we expected. And whenever you get something better than you expect out of one of your players, and you don't take advantage of their efforts, it almost hurts more. Like, if that was Ryu on the mound last night, would you be as upset? Yeah, well, I would be because, like, I was talking. I was talking through the game with Xander last night, and I'm saying to him, I'm like, he's like, I think they're going to, I'm feeling good about how they're playing. I'm feeling good about how they're playing. They're looking pretty good. And I said, it should be five, six, 
or 7 nothing. It shouldn't be 1 nothing. It should be 5-6 or 7 to nothing. This White Sox team is pretty good and they're hanging around. And it is a it is a dance that the Blue Jays have to go through to get from starting pitcher to the end of the game on a lot of nights. And I think if Charlie Montoyo was asked, you know, your best laid plans can always can always blow up in your face. Charlie Montoyo didn't do anything wrong last night. Charlie Montoyo, I'm thinking, was approaching it this way. I want Ray to get me through seven. Now, he pulled Ray after six and a third innings with 102 pitches. So if we're assuming eight to ten more pitches for the inning, I think that's fair. You're in the 110-115 pitch range. That's, that's about where a guy is topping out in this day and age, and you're not doing that every five days. So he gets you through seven, Robbie Ray, and then you go to the combination of Dolis and Romano. I would always use Jordan Romano against the better part of the White Sox lineup, but I think Montoyo would have wanted to go in whatever order, Ray, Dolis, Romano last night. The home run changed everything. Because now... You've used Dolis to get out of the seventh inning. You don't want to up and down him, which in baseball parlance means he goes and sits down for the top of the eighth inning in the dugout and comes back out to pitch the bottom of the eighth, having pitched already in the bottom of the seventh. So you don't want to up and down him because that, I would imagine, maintains his availability for tonight. And you don't want to go to the only other guy you trust right now, Romano, in the eighth inning because then who are you going to in the ninth? So, I mean, it's just, it's hot poker for Charlie Montoyo down there right now. And uh, you can't be mad at the manager for this one. He just doesn't have enough guys. He just doesn't have en- enough guys producing. And, and it's because they, they aren't capable of it. And so that's why when you have a starting pitcher like Rodon on the ropes repeatedly last night, this wasn't one of those situations, Ziggy, where Rodon was struggling in the first and second innings and you only got a run out of it, and then he settled down and he dominated you third inning onward. The, the, the quote, ace or the upper echelon starting pitcher who finds his game after being vulnerable in the early innings. He was on the ropes for the entirety of his five innings last night and they just could not come up with a hit or two to break the game open. I think that's where they lost it, and then you get into the lower leverage guys having to pitch in high leverage, and you're screwed. Yeah. I I, I mean, if you asked Charlie about Robbie Ray when he wanted to take him out, he probably would have said, hey, I left him in an inning and a third longer than I wanted to. He probably would have said, I only wanted a max five innings. Like, I, I bet you that's what Charlie would say. You think I wanted him to go into the seventh inning? I, I just I thought Ray looked good. I he was thought awesome. he had his stuff. I yeah. thought even on the home run pitch, I didn't think it was bad. Like you know, you know when a starting pitcher gets tired and he chucks a meatball over the plate, where you're like, okay, this guy's tired. That was gonna leave. There was a good chance that was gonna leave the park um more often than not. And then obviously you pull a guy. But the pitch wasn't bad on the home run. I thought he was dealing, he looked good. I just, I don't understand. Like, that's what I was saying last night is why not leave? Why not just keep running with him? I don't get it. Like, he's not walking anybody. Um, And that's, I mean, that's what Ray, that's where he's been good this year, right? Um, 
This is his sixth start, uh, you know, of the year where Ray hasn't issued a walk. I, I think he's been incredible for them. It just, for me, this hurts more. Like if Ryu was pitching, I wouldn't be as upset. And that's why I was kind of asking you, like, is it the fact that it's, it's not your ace pitching and it's a guy where this is like, you don't, you don't really, you're not, I don't think people are expecting this kind of season out of race. So when you have starts like this against a really good team, you know, well, the Sox and the Jays are both, they're both averaging five, five uh, runs a game. Like it, it, one of the best offenses in the league. Yeah, but I, th- I get- think for me, Ziggy, I think for me, it's it's that they left so much opportunity on the table in the first five innings offensively, especially. They even had first and second, nobody out, with Vladdy coming up in the top of the seventh. No, sorry, with one out. Semyon and Bichette had gotten on after Riley Adams had struck out, and Vladdy's coming up first and second, one out, top of the seventh. They're still up one nothing at the time. Like, that's... You know, and you can't hang everything on Vladdy. I'm not being critical of him. I mean, God, he's the MVP of the American League so far this year. But those are those types of moments where you need you need a hit. And you need to expand that lead. Trying to carry a one-run lead in a game where it feels quite rightly like you should be up five or six. <laughs> the games just drag and they they run on too long. Nine opportunities for the White Sox batters. It, it's eventually, it feels almost exclusively going to catch up to you. And it did. Now, I don't know about you, but with both starting pitchers last night being left-handed, there's that third base camera that shoots across the diamond when there's a runner on first base. So Sportsnet uses this one a lot. So you see the back of the left-handed pitcher and the runner taking his lead on first base. It's probably from the third base camera well down the other side of the dugout. Well, what I found, because both Rodon and, and, and Ray hold the ball behind their back before they go into their set position before delivering the pitch, I found myself looking at both pitchers' fingers as they grip the ball. I wanted to see if there was any discoloration or anything. Like, I'm I'm like honing in... What, so you're looking at, you're trying to find out to see if they've got anything well, on just, them or is that I, like, well, I, I'm not like trying to, you know, be a sleuth here or anything. I'm not, I'm not going to ISO in and be, look what I saw and then tweet it out. This guy's fingernails look slightly brown, but I'm looking to see if a guy looks like he smokes three packs a day. Are the fingies a little too yellow, a little too I'd be worried brown about or off color? I'd be worried about picking a guy off at first base if you've got that sticky tack on the ball. Like I think I'd be I'd be a little concerned throwing a ball away, wouldn't you? Well, would I be any more than a, p- a pitch a pitch to the plate? I don't know. I guess it rolls off the fingers. I, well, I, I mean, I didn't pr- notice anything with Ray or Rodon. I just want to be clear. I don't want to no, make accusations no, no. I, out of school, yeah, but this is I what I'm looking at either. now. I th- I just feel like it's been part of the game, the pine tar, whatever you want to call it, whatever they've been using before, that it's fine. Like, I'm, I don't know. Like, it's not, I, I somebody was, I, somebody was tweeting yesterday or read an article. They compare this to using performance enhancing drugs and it should be handled the same way. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if it's there for me yet. Like, I, I don't know. Well, it's like, so, so like, like you're allowed to put chalk on your hands, right? Like what's, 
Like what? What's allowed? What's not allowed? Well, what's been the suspension? There's the rosin. The rosin bag sits on the the back of the mound, and that is something a pitcher can go to to dry his hand on a humid day where you're sweaty and stuff, and you want to prevent blisters, right? So the skin starts to tear a bit, like all that. So that that has always been on the back of the mound. That is legal. But pitchers used spitballs back in the day. Guys have hidden little razors in their gloves and carved into the ball a bit. Like There are a variety of different ways to doctor the, a baseball the, that have gone pro- on through yeah. the decades. And that's the issue. It's like, whatever. If a guy wants to use a little pine tar, wants to, to make the ball a little stickier, it's like, for me, I'm like, who cares? But where, where do you draw the line then, right? Well, that's the hard part. You There's no, you, you can't. So you have to go with nothing. Like you... It's got to be a twenty-game suspension. Like you want to get rid of it, it's got to be a twenty-game suspension. Thirty. Like it feels like our pal James Deffenbaugh, our pal James Deffenbaugh, the co-founder of Spider Tech, who was on the show yesterday. I'm glad he's our pal now. He said he'd come back on. That makes him our pal. It feels like his product is now at the center of the storm here. In fact, so much so that Ken Davidoff, another friend of the show who was on last week of the New York Post. Asked Garrett Cole if he'd ever used spider tack on a baseball. Now, if you ever want to hear a minute-long answer where yes would have sufficed, <laughs> listen to Garrett Cole's response when asked, have you ever used spider tack on a baseball? I don't know. I, I, I don't know if... Uh... I don't know quite, I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um, I mean, there are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players, from the last generation of players to this generation of players. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think there are some things that are certainly out of bounds in that regard. And, and, uh, I've stood pretty stood pretty firm in, in terms of that, uh, in terms of the communication between our peers and whatnot. Um, you know, and, and I, again, like I mentioned earlier, there's, you know, this is important to a lot of people that love the game. And this is including, including the players in this room, including fans, including, you know, teams. And so if MLB wants to, you know, legislate some more stuff, that's a conversation that we can have. Um, because, Ultimately, we should all be pulling in the same direction on this. And then at 3 o'clock, I have a dental appointment. And after that, I've got to get into the treatment room. And, um, yeah, I just got to go through the customs and practices that have been passed on through the decades and generations of Major League Baseball. Hey, honey, will you marry me? I don't know. I I, I don't know if... uh... I don't know quite, I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Italian, Chinese, what do you feel like for dinner? I don't know, I, I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know quite, I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. You sleep well last night? I don't know, I, I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know quite, I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. This is not a complicated question. Have you ever used spider tack in a baseball game? And he doesn't have to say yes. As assistant producer Hayden Matthewson said before the show, he is not under oath. This is not a court of law. This does not have to be Roger Clemens saying that Andy Pettit, quote, misremembered. 
Nobody's under oath. If you want to say no and be outed as a liar later, then say no. If you want to say yes, well, that would probably be stupid because it would blow the doors off the investigation. <laughs> but <laughs> you're not <laughs> fooling anybody yeah, I, with that I, I diatribe. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's he's in a tough one there. He's just got to come out and say, I mean, what he wanted to say was yes, and I'm not the only one, right? I mean, when, when he talks about, you know, how we all, what does he say? We all have to kind of stick. Does he not say we have to stick together? What what, did, what was the line he used? Like the, like we're all in this together? Well, and fans, there's, there's more like fans. Yeah. I think he's talking about other pitchers and then it's so wide, it's so widespread. Sure it is that I'm not the only one, but he didn't want to, he didn't want to, he didn't want to sell out everyone else. So he just, he's like, I don't really know how to answer that. So I'm not going to say anything. Rick and Mimico, Rick and Mimico. I want Garrett Cole to come with me and help fight my speeding ticket. (laughs) Allison on retainer in Toronto, our criminal defense attorney. This is worse than PEDs. Both pitchers and hitters were on them, which even the playing field, the sticky stuff gives pitchers the upper hand only. I wonder if Allison would defend hmm. Garrett Cole in court. I wonder how she would counsel him to respond to the have you ever used sticky I, I tack guess, question. I guess the steroid issue is worse for me because of the effect it has on our youth. Like that's okay. Like that's if, a good like, point. That's very yeah. Fair. That's yeah. I mean that's where I'm taking it just because I'm almost positive in minor hockey there were kids using stuff even into junior. I mean, I couldn't, I, I never saw it being done, but I'm going to guess that it happened. And that's where it, I don't think it happens unless the pros are doing it. So uh, for me, yeah, that's, that, that's where, I mean, the PEDs come in and yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, then you can't, don't use anything. You don't get the, the chalk bag. You don't get anything. You get a towel and nothing else on that. You can't have anything else on your hand. No chalk bag, no whatever. You sweat too much, too bad. You bring a little, you get a little towel. You can fold up at the back of the mound. It just sits there. You get too sweaty, you go and touch it up. Can't use anything. I'm okay with that. Yeah, what I would be fascinated to see is if they could knock this stuff pretty much out of the game, what would that do for offense right now? Because I'm very clear. I do not believe you can outlaw legitimate strategy. The rule in baseball for the nine positional players is that eight have to begin each pitch in fair territory. Only the catcher is in foul territory when a pitch is delivered. Everybody else must be in fair territory. In my view, I don't care where you're standing as long as you're in fair territory. So don't outlaw the shift. If you want to overload everything to the right side, you want to put three outfielders from center field over to the right field foul line, and you want your third baseman behind second base, and you move your shortstop and your second baseman into shallow right field and your first baseman over to first base side, you want to overload the entire diamond to one side. You might pay pay the price by giving up an opposite field hit, but you should be allowed to do that. If this stuff actually gets eliminated, the doctoring, because that's what we're dealing with here, not cutting around the edges and and taking shortcuts, the actual doctoring of baseballs. If you eliminate that and the spin rates come down on the fastballs and the breaking pitches, will the batting average collectively of the league go up? 
And if the answer to that question is yes, we've gone a long way to addressing the problem. Yeah, and I yeah, and you, and what how, how do you do it though? You check all the balls, you check the pitchers before they go out. What percentage do you think? Like if they did an anonymous test, how many? And I don't know why the league doesn't do it, or maybe the pitchers wouldn't want to answer it because they're like, yeah, anonymous. I'm sure. How many guys do you think are doing it? I don't think it's everybody. I really don't. And if it was that big of a deal, I think pitchers, I think somebody would come and say something. That's kind of why I don't think it's as big of a deal as, as we're But I think it. it's matter of degrees. I think it's like a matter what, what, of degrees. What pitcher, what pitcher has come out and said anything? Who's even like, you mean who's whistleblowed? Yeah. Well, I, I, it's advantage pitchers. So I don't think hitters are griping about it. Josh Donaldson threatened to call people out. Hitters are has, pissed. Like he has, but they ha, he hasn't. Not yet, but like you know why he, you know do you know why he can't? Because pitchers on his own team are doing it. Like well, the whole thing around the Houston Astros, like other, I, I, they're not the only ones. Trust yes. me. But what I'm saying is, is if is if it's happening league wide and it stops league wide, and it's never that black and white. I get it. But if it if it were to come to a complete stop, then the advantage would for for pitchers would disappear the the advantage disadvantage for each team however you want to layer it can you imagine would disappear can you imagine the the batting average goes up home runs go up and we're sitting here like we had to watch all of those boring baseball games well yeah but i like but i also <laughs> said the, the la dodgers didn't sign trevor bauer to 40 plus million dollars a year to have him be average. And if you look at his spin rates from the early days of his career when he pitched for Cleveland about a half a decade ago, as compared to now, it's very different. Garrett Cole, Ziggy, was the star pitcher, the ace for the Pittsburgh Pirates for a couple of years. I I'm sure we could get like a long-ass dissertation from Colby Armstrong the next time he comes on. Tell us about Garrett Cole in Pittsburgh, how good he was in his first couple of years. And then he started to backslide a little bit with the Pirates. What did the Pirates do? They turned around and they traded him to the Houston Astros. And when did Garrett Cole's career re-skyrocket? The moment he landed in Houston. And he's carried it over with the Yankees. So there are tricks of the trade. And so, yeah. Like Justin so Verlander was on the decline in Detroit. Ends up in Houston. Cy Young Award winner again. If it all comes out that these a, a guy like Garrett Cole has been using a substance to pitch well, does it take away from their career for you? Would it take I away from a halt? I, I, I don't know if uh, I don't know quite. I don't quite know how to answer that. I think that's exactly I, like I think that's what we, I think that's what we have to ask ourselves right now is do you, a guy like Garrett Cole when you look at him and you say, well, he's been using this tact on his whatever the spider tack on his, you know, on the ball to pitch all these years. And that's why he's the best in the league. Does it take away from his career? Like, is that the same as how do you compare that to the cheating scandal with stealing signs? Like uh, where, where does that rank for you? Well, the, I don't even, I don't even think the cameras I don't even think, and trash can banging is bad. This is, this is also, bad. it's just so widespread. How do you properly, I'm almost less concerned about punishing it and more concerned about trying to get it out of the game. I feel mm -hmm. the same. I felt the same way about PEDs. I think Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame, for example. 
because he was a great player made greater. But I also want PEDs out of the game. And I think the point you brought up was perfect. It, it does not send the right message to young people. And you don't mm -hmm. want them jamming their muscles full of horsey roids when they're 15, 16 years old. That's just a, that's a really bad idea and sets you up for a, a struggle in life. We're all over this story. Emma Bacalieri of Sports Illustrated wrote the extensive piece that really blew the lid off this thing last week. She will join us at 750. Ben Wagner down in Dunedin, part of the Blue Jays broadcast team here, here on Sportsnet, has some really good insight into this. He sent us a video that he captured in Dunedin a few weeks ago. We'll explain what that is. And Ben will join us at 710. We've got Adnan Verk. We've got former NHL GM, first overall pick in the NHL back in 83, now works for NHL Network. Brian Lawton will be along. Dan Schulman, Jeff Merrick. It's a jam-packed show. Your texts as well to 590-590. And a bunch of people responding to this Garrett Cole stuff. Lead up. Allison in Toronto on retainer, our criminal defense attorney. So I said, well, how would Allison counsel Garrett Cole? And she said, I would counsel Garrett Cole to do the exact opposite, say the exact opposite of whatever the hell that was. The one minute non-yes, yes, to have you ever used spider tech. Scotty talking about looking at fingers reminds me of heavy smokers fingers appearing as though they just finished a bag of cheesies <laughs> from a 705 number. Well, because I was looking at Rodon's and Ray's fingers last night as I watched the game whenever the camera showed them holding the baseball before they went to the set position on the mound. I was trying to see if I could notice anything on wow. that. Well, if it, if it was that easy, I think we would know by now, wouldn't we? Well, like I, if, wasn't if, expecting, if, if we... I wasn't expecting to see anything, but you can't help but glance going, geez, I wonder if their fingers are dripping in sauce, like chalet sauce. I think this stuff is like, like I've never seen it, but it's got to go on. It's got to be see-through. It's got to go. Like No one's ever said anything. Um, I feel like we would have known, but like, you'd, if you'd be able to see it, it would be a bigger issue. Like if the substance was yellow or purple like i think somebody would say something by now no like i just yeah <laughs> i i don't know yeah it's it's well pine tar's got a color to it right i mean it's yeah pine yeah. tar i mean i don't have any experience with pine tar after <laughs> i mean you're the expert <laughs> pine tar, pine tar. you see it on bats <laughs> you see it on guys batting helmets all the time sometimes guys who yeah. have a lot of pine tar on their bats and rest their bats on their shoulders when they Gets set to hit, is, I, gets I on their uniform. A, I think this is a huge issue that the league is keeping super quiet. That's my take on it. Well, I'm sorry. I think it's a massive I, issue. I, I think they're, tr they're trying to wiggle their way out of it. I think yeah. they're investigating. I think they're trying to figure out just the true extent of it. And then I think they're going to try to eliminate it as quietly as possible. And I think but it's going to be a struggle to eliminate it quietly. But if you're if you're the league, do you not want? Don't you want runs? Like, uh, okay, I'd love seeing a no hitter once in a while, but do you not want to see lots of hits, like fifty? Like, 
30 hits in a game, couple home runs, or would you rather watch a no hitter? Like, I think it's great once a year from one pitcher, but to have it all the time, the, you know, the, the no hitters, I just, well, there are, there are well-pitched games that are entertaining. Like, you know, there, there'd be the old, I think there was a great game one time between Mark, uh, Mark Burley, then of the white Sox, and Roy Halladay of the blue Jays. And it was like done in less than two hours because both guys just ripped through and one team beat the other one to nothing. Like that's a, that's a game that's moving. Maybe not a lot is happening offensively, but those games can be entertaining and you can also get on with your night. But I, I, I agree with you, Ziggy, you want to see action and activity offensively sprinkled throughout the game. Yeah. I, I, that's why if I'm the league, I, I get rid of this as soon as possible. I'm, I'm quite shocked. Maybe they have been trying to get rid of it quietly and they haven't been able to do it. And now that everyone's talking about it, now they have no choice. What do you think Hugh Burl's feeling this morning? We're one, we're one Vegas Golden Knights win away from a Habs Golden Knights semifinal matchup. He took this week off. He must be in hospital with like a cardiac deal or something this morning. His two favorite teams two, and in the it, final four. Can you believe it? And you just knew if he was sitting here, I wish I could be in Vegas right now. Like absolutely. Well, he would move to Vegas if he could, but man, oh man, Marc-Andre Fleury, Patrick, did you see him? Patrick Laleem, that Brandon Saad shot in the mm, final second of the first period. Yeah. So, but then to, dude, like it's, it's, it, it's one thing if a goal like that goes in, Sod from just inside the blue line. It's just a pray, a prayer wrister in the final second or two of the period. Like he's just putting it on net. And Mark Andre Fleury reached across his body to try to Tony Fernandez it, and it went in under the bar. And it so it's one nothing Colorado going into the first intermission. Terrible goal. Fleury stood tall the rest of the way. Colorado did push it to two to nothing, but Vegas with a couple of early third period goals, and then Mark Stone blocking a shot and then ultimately scoring on the same shift in overtime. That's prototypical Mark Stone. That is a huge, huge comeback for Vegas on the road down two, and now they get it back to their place with a chance to clinch. Yeah. I it, The goal wasn't great. It's it's end of the period. He, I mean, Saad doesn't really have much. He knows there's not much time left. I'm sure you can kind of hear everyone say shoot. So if there is no fans, does he know to get rid of that puck? Maybe not. Um, I didn't think it got deflected, but the fact that I'm trying to think who was on him, but the fact that when the defender throws his stick out to block a shot, it was Martinez and you don't get it or you get a piece of it. It can throw the goaltender off sometimes. And I've, I've mentioned this on the show a number of times. Your defense, you're going to play a forward. As soon as you go to stick your stick out, even if you don't get anything on it or you, you don't get a piece of it, it can throw your goaltender off more times than not. So I think that was one of the plays. There was also a lot more zip on it than I think Flurry knew. Like he thought he could just go out across his bar, body and grab it, but it came off pretty hot. Like it, it just wasn't some little wrister from the outside. It had a little bit of spice on it. That's it, a massive goal in that game. I, I I could watch I could watch these teams play 30, 35 games against each other. That's fantastic hockey. I don't yeah, it's I don't I don't level. know what's 
Yeah, I don't know what series is better. I mean, Minnesota Vegas was was pretty decent, but these are my favorite two teams. I've talked about them all year. Um, they're exciting to watch. It's offense. They don't sit back. They don't wait for you. They get good goaltending. Their defense jump in the play. Um, you know, they try to create odd man rushes up front. They have three lines that can beat you at any time. Like it, it's not, it's not a one player or one line team for either side. And that's what makes them successful. This is for me, this is the finals I, outside of Tampa Bay. Um, these two teams are the best. And that was, uh, I mean, it was an exciting game to watch. Yeah. And Tampa- yeah, Flurry, Flurry doesn't let those goals in like that's, but it's also, I, about, I, it's also the bounce back. Ziggy, how well he played the rest of the way. Like, yeah, he doesn't let, he doesn't, he just doesn't let things bother him. He's not that guy. He lets in a bad goal. It's like, okay, next one. That's the kind of guy he is. It's just like bang a stick. You know, I don't know. Can I say the T word on uh, his tab? Can I say the tabard is tabernacle out? No, it's too late now. <laughs> you can, sure. I mean, you, you can, you can give us, you can give us the entire dictionary of French. I don't even French swear words. If you want, <laughs> Let's let's just go down the list. Let's rank them. Your favorite. And the only reason the only reason I'm saying that is because that's what Flory would actually say. Oh yeah. I, I don't, uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I I used to work with a buddy from Montreal, uh, up in Ottawa, and he he a diehard Habs fan. Just as 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 an aside, he he had his laundry list of words he liked to use. I I know them all. I'm, I'm, I know them I'm, all. I'm, thanks I'm googling to him. it right now. Oh yeah, no. What does it actually mean? <laughs> well, it's. Uh, I think it's a, a lot of the French. I think a lot of the French swear words are are tied to the the history with the not the history with the Catholic Church, but a lot of them are elements of church life. If I if I'm not okay. mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not necessarily up on it. But but that was the explanation that was that was once given to me. <laughs> So there. Yeah. I had I just got a message said you're okay. You're fine. It's it's not as bad as you think. It's not. <laughs> Rick and Mimico, Hugh uh-oh. is on What? Are oh, you getting no, another text? What what's the yeah. uh-oh? It's it, it just means like uh, a holy s. That's what it means. I can't say yeah, the other sure. Word. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's related to the tabernacle and all of yeah, all of you're that. right. Um, tabernacle I've said on the air and that's been, that's been safe. There you go. <laughs> Rick and Mimico, uh, he was on vacation, but he's working as an intern running the lights at the CN tower. Oh, that, so that I, are we getting into that? Well, Andrew? I, you didn't, you don't care. Oh, I'm not. Oh, happy. you don't care. No, I'm not happy about it. Oh, I was gonna. No, like, I'm not do, happy oh, about I like, it. I, now I do. I'm get not into happy it. about it. But we need to talk about why this happened. There's only one explanation I can tolerate, and I haven't heard whether it is in fact factual or not. We I will, heard something too. We will discuss the lighting up of the CN Tower in Bleu et Rouge last night. And why it happened next. So tell me, Ziggy, that the CN Tower was lit up blue and red last night in honor of the Montreal Canadiens because 
it was part of Mayor John Tory's bet with the mayor of Montreal over the Leafs Hab series. That that's got to be That was not it. That was not it. Is that what you heard? No. I that was the only thing that made sense to me. The only possibility. Do not tell me, please. Do not tell me that this was a decision made because Montreal is the only Canadian team remaining in the playoffs. That's why I think oh it was done, and I and I don't like it, and uh, a lot of fans aren't happy about it. Um, is the, this did this did this did not go over well? So I don't know. I don't know who made the call. My theory behind it is that it is run, so it's it's owned by the like we own it, right? It's a federal crown corporation that manages manages it, though. So. We it's it's part of the Canada Lands Company, and I've heard that they're based in Montreal. So, yeah, make what you want of that, but it's the CN Tower is not is not privately like it's not some company in Quebec, but it is managed. Yeah, and I have heard by the company is based in Quebec. That's is, the theory behind it. I don't know if it's true or not. That's the theory. It's the behind it. CN Tower. The Canadian National Tower, but that's the railway company. Like, you do not get national unity between NHL fan bases. We will all come together from Victoria to St. John's to Iqaluit and everywhere in between for a Canadian Olympic team, for a World Junior Canadian team, for, I mean, even the world championships, men, women, doesn't matter. Like, we will get national unity when our national team plays. But you cannot light the CN Tower up as an homage to the Montreal Canadiens. It is the defining landmark in Toronto, in our city. I am not... Ever. I will be six feet in the ground. You can come and piss on my grave before I would ever cheer for the Montreal Canadiens to win a Stanley Cup, before I would ever cheer for the Vancouver Canucks to win a Stanley Cup. I'm a little more agreeable, and you could make arguments for, in different situations, Ottawa, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton. Doesn't mean I'm going to roll with them, but I'm less full of hate for those teams than I am for Montreal or Vancouver. This is not a matter of national unity. And I think people who default to the remaining Canadian team when their favorite team is eliminated from the NHL playoffs, I think they're stupid. They're stupid. It's tough. Like, I, I don't like it. and It's a, it's just bad. It's, it's the ultimate troll job, but... By who? Who in this city... I Approve this. Somebody, that's what I want to know. I want, I'd like to know who it is. My, I told you my, what my theory is, though. It's that the company that manages the building is in Montreal. And they're like, well, this is a national landmark. It just so happens to be in Toronto. Like, if it was in, Ed, like, say the CN Tower was in Edmonton. Would the Edmonton Oilers be this upset? I don't think so. <laughs> I really don't think so. <laughs> Like if the CN Tower was in was in Winnipeg, 
okay, that's a bad idea. They just beat them too. <laughs> if it was in Vancouver, do you think Van- like, okay, that's not Vancouver Twitter either. Sorry. I'll stop. No. <laughs> I was like, I went over, I went over the team. You pretty much they, they went over beat. all of it. Yeah. Went- <laughs> but did they like the like, peace Vancouver, tower? No, in Ottawa? Did like- they like the peace tower in Ottawa up with led lights of blue and red, like parliament Hill, their yeah, Canada's got- team. Why not? I don't like, I don't like, I don't like the look. I, I really don't like the look. It, it's just, I don't care if it's the national monument or it's our, it, I just, it's not a good, it's, stu- it's, like, it's, if it's our landmark, I just, I don't like it. I'm sorry. If it was in Ottawa, maybe because it's our capital, like that's our capital. It's still not great. But it's it would like if something got lit up in our in Ottawa, I think I'd be more okay with it. Not okay with it, more okay with it. <laughs> well, San Tower just, is the biggest building in our city. I mean, it's just one big giant blue and red middle finger to Leafs fans in Toronto. And I, I understand that Montreal fans live here. Just like Toronto Maple Leafs fans live in Montreal. But it's not they're not they have a national following, but they are not a national team. I would say the same thing for the Leafs. The, the, the Leafs and the Habs have national followings, right? The two oldest franchises in, in the NHL based in this country. Do you, think they, if, do you think if we would have lost to the Edmonton Oilers in the first round and then the Canadians yes. went to beat the Edmonton in the second round, would we still be at same upset? I don't think we would yes, be. Yes, we would be. I don't think we yes, would. Yes, we would be. Nope. I'm going to tell you, you right take now, the landmark that is best I know and Leafs most Nation. identified with our city and you effectively <laughs> paint it in Montreal Canadians colors and you're te- Montreal. This is not this is not the Arizona Coyotes and that even wouldn't be acceptable. This is not the Florida Panthers and that wouldn't be acceptable. This is the Montreal Canadians would would the New York Yankees. <laughs> that's a bad example <laughs> it's a great example with the boston red sox would the would there be blue and red lights up and down the empire state building in honor of the boston red sox being the american league representative in the world series it's because, a little different gosh, it's a little different gee, gee we gotta support the american league we're Manhattaners, and we love the American League because we love I, our Yankees more than the Mets. Boston's in. We're going to light it up. No. I I don't like it. I don't like the CN Tower being lit up. It just stupid and weak. Yeah, in the Canadians' colors, but I get it. It's like this is our team going on to no, represent. No, it's not our team. It's like I'm just saying I know where it's coming from. I'm not saying I like it. And I also think if the Leafs would have lost in the first round to Edmonton or Calgary or whatever other team in – in the north and then i don't know like if like if if the colors if the cn tower got lit up in winnipeg colors would we still be upset like say Yay! winnipeg well winnipeg <laughs> is not having what this would they, right it would be now. blue and white pretty much right I know. There's a but you of, know what i mean like yeah. say they did say they lit up the cn tower to support the jets would we still be upset Yay! We wouldn't be happy. Yes, we would not be this angry. We would not be this angry. Somebody, somebody texted in saying, "Look it up. You can get a request for lighting." Some fan of the Habs filled it out, and his or her request was approved. So they How did much it to does piss that us cost? off. I would love, what's the cost we, on that? We're gonna have to do a deep dive into the request for lighting. Mm. The CN Tower. Okay. 
Mike yeah. and Balsam Lake, if it's done by a Habs fan, they should be fired. Yes. Yes. I'm telling I, you, I think the I think the company that manages it is is based in 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 Montreal. All right, conspiracy. That's my about. theory. That's my theory. We got to figure this. I still thing out. haven't had no tweets, no texts, nothing. Eh? We got to get to the bottom of this. We got to get to the bottom of this. This is a problem. We cannot have the Montreal Canadiens repped on on the biggest. It's a it's free. So, okay, so Silent Vic is telling me in my ear. It's it, there's just a request form you fill out. Hmm. Have the CN Tower lit up for one night in colors of your choice. And this one was clearly approved. Who approved it? We need to know. We need we need to James Deffenbaugh this one. We need to get the person responsible on. There needs to be some questions asked. Ben Wagner on the doctoring of baseballs and the state of the Blue Jays after, I think, what is inarguably one of the most disappointing losses of the season last night. They coughed up a bunch of offensive opportunities, chances to blow the game open, and then the bullpen imploded late in the game. And then Jeff Merrick later in the hour, his thoughts on the CN Tower. And does Montreal stand a chance against either Vegas or Colorado? got our detectives on the CN Tower situation looking into how this happened or who approved this because I would imagine there are a lot of requests if it's as simple as hey I put in a request for a different color scheme or for a particular night a color scheme on a given night I would imagine there's more than one per night so how did this person in honor of the Montreal Canadiens. This got tweeted out by the CN Tower's official account. It was blue and red in honor of the Montreal Canadiens. I'm now getting tweets with confirmed photos because some people are texting in saying, well, it never actually lit up. It did light up. It did light up in the blue and red of the Montreal Canadiens. CN it's Tower posted the, it's a photo. On the, it's, it's on their Twitter yes. account. What do you mean? What are they talking about? Well, now I'm getting other people tweeting me in with photos that they've taken of it. And should come as no surprise to you that they're Habs fans. It's apparently yeah. called the CH Tower. That's what at Tor Habs fan tweeted me, Ziggy. <laughs> I love all the, I love all the Habs Tower. fans. I love all the Habs fans like throwing love out for it and replying to this. Like Jeez. I went through some of their mentions and they're all replying well, the best, to it. One of the best responses on on text we've gotten is from Rick and Welland. They didn't even light anything up in Montreal. Blue Blanc et Rouge. They didn't even light yeah, anything usually, up in their own yeah, city. Yeah, usually, yeah, usually you do like one of your buildings. Like, I feel like in New York City, obviously, it's a little bit easier in Manhattan to light up a building than it is in Montreal. I mean, you could do it in Toronto. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, I didn't see anything there. I'm really looking forward. I'm I, really looking forward to the cityscape of downtown Los Angeles being done up in black and orange if the San Francisco Giants do eventually win the National League West this year. I'm sure that would go over really well with Dodgers fans. They would have a totally normal one if they started celebrating the San Francisco Giants in downtown L.A. Like, would come you be on. Okay, would, would you be okay with an apology from the CN Tower today? 
a Twitter apology. Sorry, we yes. made, we made a mistake. But I require want. I be added. I, I need I, I want my handle added by the CN Tower. So you want the tower to, to You know apologize. what? As as a as a as a get back, I should not have to go up into that tower and do push-ups on the clear glass. Hugh Burl getting his, the CN Tower lit up in his team's favorite colors. That should be enough. I shouldn't have to go up there and do push-ups anymore. I feel like the bet is paid off. Is the CN Tower opening up now that we're starting I, to open? Is like everything's opening up to Friday or Saturday, right? Like we're well, entering it, phase one or something? Yeah, and there's. I think there's going to be some patios open with certain seating restrictions or numbers of people and stuff. I, I honestly don't. I got to do a deeper dive into that, Ziggy. I, I, do, I don't know if, because the CN Tower, I think you understand this given the height of the thing. When you go up into the CN Tower, you tend to be inside, not out. Although if you're doing the edge walk, which I will maybe never the, do. Maybe the CN Tower is trying to stay relevant and they're they're doing this to stay. The CN Tower. <laughs> they, they're for, just, I mean, they haven't been open since when? We're the tallest building in North March? America. That's not a selling point. We got to stay relevant. What do you think they are in the world? You remember, you know, CN Tower was the tallest building in the world. Is it right? number three now? I think it's they're... not even. It's not even three. I think it's way down the list. Is it? Like I've been in two higher than the CN Tower. Where are they? Once, they're over one, in Asia, one, right? One of them's over. Well, in Asia. I did one in one in one in Shanghai. I was in. I forget the name of the building, and then the one in Dubai. I've Dubai. Been in that's right. Okay. Yeah, that's the, the one Burj, I was thinking Burj, of. Burj Khalifa. Yeah. Oh yeah. But the, the one in the one in Shanghai, I think there's two higher in Shanghai than the CN Tower. So, um, yeah, they're trying to stay relevant. They, have, they haven't been open since March 2020. The CN right? Tower is trying to stay relevant by pissing off <laughs> a large a portion of on. this city. What better way to do it? Oh, <laughs> I, mean, I don't like. I like. I make. I'm having fun with this. I don't think I'm as mad as Silent Vic or. It's it's not ideal. Base. It's not ideal, but at the same time, it's like, okay, let's have a laugh about it. It's, it's okay. My, I, I guess why I'm saying I'm having a laugh and I'm, I don't like it, but I'm, I'm going to move on is because I think it would be different if Winnipeg would have won and Winnipeg's colors would have gone on. I think it would have been different. I'm sorry. I, there's just something in between Montreal and Toronto, Lisa and Canadians, the history. It's just. I, it would have been different. The, I've got the, I've got another alternative for you. How about it just not happen for any Canadian team <laughs> that isn't the Maple Leafs? If if the Montreal Canadiens want a big tower lit up in their colors, build a big tower in Montreal. Or take that little weird thing that sticks out from Olympic Stadium, put a bunch of LED lights on it, and make them blue and red for a night. There you go. Take that weird little leaning tower yeah. of Pisa thing they've got hanging off the Olympic Stadium and and use that, the thing that props that ridiculous roof open on that gigantic waste of money. Yeah, well, Do when that. someone, mess when someone yeah. messaged me, say, said, hey, the, they lit up the CN Tower. Like, I heard about it through a text message. My reaction was, yeah, right. And then I actually had to go and, and confirm it for myself because oh, I, I couldn't tweet. believe it. Okay, you see, I, well, I, I saw, saw that the way after. It kept, it kept getting run into my timeline. Okay, were, no, no. I heard from other people saying, hey, they just lit it up. I was like, no, they didn't, because that would be the ultimate, the ultimate yeah. troll the job. Thing, the <laughs> thing that's shaped like the tallest middle finger in the world is sticking it up right in our faces. 
right now. That's 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 how I felt. Uh, Jeff Merrick tweeted a Hulk Hogan NWO gif last night. The the biggest heel turn since Hulk Hogan, the CN Tower going blue and red. He'll join us in about 20 minutes. Uh, ben Wagner is one of the play-by-play voices of the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. And we will, of course, talk about the state of the team with Ben. But he's all over this doctoring of baseball story as well and has a unique perspective. And Ben, as you know, was doing dugout side reporting during Blue Jays home games in Dunedin. And that gave him the ability to wander around the stadium and see different things as they were going on, even in between innings. And Ben, I'm, I'm fascinated. You picked up very early in the season and then continued to monitor the fact that each baseball that entered play was eventually taken out of play and then logged. How did that happen? What did you see? Yeah, good morning, guys. It's, it was really interesting, and I guess kind of an education in watching Major League Baseball kind of conduct how they were harvesting data over the first two months of the season while I was down there in Dunedin. So I would watch in between innings. Uh, one of the bat boys would bring basically a box of balls or a bag of balls down the line with him to someone with Major League Baseball, uh, essentially the authenticator. And the bat boy would spend some time, if there was a pitching change, to differentiate which baseballs were thrown by, let's say, the first pitcher, and then maybe a baseball or two that came from the new guy. The umpire would throw out baseballs, the bat boy would collect them, and he would obviously remember which pitcher was throwing these baseballs. But after essentially every inning, the bat boy would come down the line and he would go through and indicate which baseball came from which pitcher. And then they were marked, they were logged, and then they were collected, and then they were ushered off. And this is something Major League Baseball said that they were going to do, and that is spend some time collecting data. Now, I wonder how deep that they're going into this, whether they're looking for one specific thing or if they're trying to narrow down how big the problem is or what the substance is, essentially, that is leading to these higher spin rates uh, or a number of rumors in the game. They're trying to figure out who is doctoring the ball specifically, how rampant it is within a team, but also how rampant it is within the game. But it was very, very fascinating watching all this for the first two months of the year. Is there any word or rumor about, I mean, this is what everyone in Toronto wants to know, is how many Jays pitchers right now are using it, if if any? Well, I mean, there's no doubt people are using it. You can watch the tape and figure it out for yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it, it's, that, it's, that, uh, it's that prevalent within the game. And I, I remember my first education going all the way back to 2007. I was watching, walking through the clubhouse in AAA, and guys were openly talking about different substances that they were using, and specifically in cold weather situations. Buffalo, New York, you know, had some very raw days in April. And honestly, in May, too. So guys were looking for advantages at that point just to grip the baseball better, not necessarily dive into this deep spin rate that we're, we're talking a lot about right now. And Garrett Cole gave you the best indication right now how, <laughs> how important this is. I mean, he, he stuttered and stammered and tried to <laughs> glare a hole through the screen in the first uh, 13 seconds of his interview after asking, being asked directly if he used uh, a substance that you guys did a deep dive on 
I think just a couple of days ago, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. uh, this, I mean, this is this is a thing. This is definitely a thing, and Major League Baseball wants to find out about it. And if it comes down to one company being the difference maker in this, I think that's that's the head of the snake that they may cut off. But this is this is something as long as I've been in baseball now for 20 years, and we know, just talking with lifers, that this is something players have been trying to figure out on both sides. How do I make my bat better to make contact and hold on to this thing and, and increase my bat speed? How do I improve my grip on the baseball and be able to doctor and maneuver a baseball differently so I can get guys out more effectively? With Ben Wagner... Like I'll liken it just to a hockey example for a moment, Ben, which is when when a dirty hit occurs in a hockey game, you have the victim of the hit who is a member of the Players Association and the offender, the guy who threw the dirty hit, who is also a member of the Players Association. And, and so if there is need to appeal a hefty suspension the players union will often step in and take part on behalf of the offender while also representing the victim of course in this case i'm thinking to myself using one particular example and you'll go uh-huh of course you're using that example the los angeles dodgers did not sign trevor bauer to be average they are not paying him 40 million dollars plus per season to be just a guy so if Trevor Bauer's spin rate, which has ramped up considerably in recent years, slides back considerably, or if Garrett Cole has more starts like he did the other day, where he's getting a couple of hundred fewer revolutions per minute on, on the baseball, if he has a few more of those starts, the New York Yankees aren't paying him $36 million for a year for the next decade for him to just be a guy. Like, I don't know if it turns these guys into average pitchers, but these teams are paying premiums for the very best pitchers to go out and be the very best every fifth day. And so I wonder the extent of the push and pull behind the scenes as this investigation goes on. I think it's going to be a massive push and pull between Major League Baseball and the Players Association because Major League and Baseball... And teams. And teams. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. And... and, and I haven't talked to enough club executives to have a really good feel on whether or not they're happy this is being pursued. I, I can imagine the people in the baseball operations departments are not happy because they they make decisions based on all of this data. When I mean, this is why this is important, right? Because you sign a guy because of spin rate. You sign a guy because of the deep dive in sports science that you already have on these individuals. And you make the investment, in the case of some of the biggest names in baseball, long-term. And many of these contracts are very, very early into their commitment right now. And all of a sudden, if you've got a guy that you expect to project to give you, let's say, over the shelf life of his career with this team, a 330 ERA, all of a sudden he's got a 470 ERA, that's a big difference. And what's the result? The difference is between wins and losses. And that's going to be a big problem. The teams are going to look at this, and that I expect this to be a very big topic of conversation between club presidents and ownership privately on how much they want to push Major League Baseball to either grasp this or bury this. 
And that's why I think it comes down, if they're able to collect enough data and point to one specific company or one specific substance, that's what they stop. They don't try to stop all of it. Yeah. Demonize spider tack and then let everybody use all the other substances and we'll go on believing that that things have legitimately changed. We're with Ben right. Wagner. And well, you can you, go ahead. Well, I, mean, I was just going to say, you know, you can you can demonize the one company, but you know, like rosin and sunscreen is still going to be okay. Yes, and they can already they can already kind of pivot from substances that they're already using. And I, I noticed this, uh, and I just tweeted a picture of it. That the balls are not being rubbed up with the old mud like they have been in years past either. If you look at baseballs right now in Major League Baseball, they're a lot shinier, they're a lot brighter, and they 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 almost replicate right right out of the box or right out of the wrapper, you know, in the newness with some of the slick the slick finish. And usually, you've got a guy dedicated for every team that's in charge of rubbing up the baseballs and the Blue Jays will bring their baseballs with them, the Phillies would bring their baseballs with them to Dunedin for an example, right? And one guy is specifically in charge of rubbing up the pitching balls with with the old mud, which is approved by Major League Baseball and the one company that's allowed to be. And that is that has changed significantly in the last month or well, so. Well, and the, 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 all this talk about we we need to eliminate the shift and I, I I've argued consistently and will remain in this corner that you cannot legislate or should not be able to legislate strategy. I am also not a fan of the three batter minimum. That to me is legislating strategy. You have 26 players available to you each game. You should be able to use or not use each one of those players however you see fit and the moment that they are into the lineup and then eventually out of the lineup, they are done for the night. I don't think you should be able to legislate, adjudicate, strategy the difference here between ped use in the mid to late 90s and early 2000s benny and the sticky stuff with pitchers now is that that was a show back in the mid to late 90s and early 2000s that was an offensive show it, it had effects on health it, it i think ziggy made a great point last hour negative effect on kids who are looking up to superstars and thinking this is maybe what I'm going to have to do to get to big league baseball. But in a day and age where even the biggest fans and diehards in the sport call it boring. Well, if we reduce spin rates on these pitches, maybe they're not going to break as much or run as much. And we're going to get more solid contact and we're going to get more activity. It like to me, it's in the interest of the game to stop this it's in the interest it was in the interest of the game not in a good way but it was in the interest of the game to perpetuate the steroid use and the home runs that resulted from it coming out of the 1994 strike it is also i would think in the interest of the game to get more offense back into this thing make it more entertaining again and attack this problem with sticky stuff that pitchers are using i'm with you get the ball in play that's a big thing for me. I want to see the ball and play more. I, I don't like the three outcomes, you know, where it's either a walk, a strikeout, or a home run. Last night is a really good example where you've got a pretty good pitching staff going up against the Blue Jays, who had been swinging the bat pretty well, and all of a sudden, it gets shut down. Blue Jays don't have uh, a lot of contact. They don't have a lot of 
balls put in play in key situations either, going one for 12 with runners in scoring position, and I think they left on nine. Uh, and they had opportunities in a game. You know, they just couldn't get the ball in play, and that's where, where a lot of these games become such a drag. And And with the power velocity that is available right now out of the bullpens, uh, you know, some people could fall back into safety, but like, well, this guy throws 97 miles an hour, 99 miles an hour. Don't you want him to know and trust where this baseball is going? Well, he can trust where the baseball is going. What this substance issue is doing is changing where he is putting the baseball and how the baseball reacts once it leaves its hand. What do you think the punishment, like say the league comes down on it and crashes the whole you know, substance on a ball and no one's allowed to use anything or we're going to actually look into it. What kind of, what should the suspension be for, for pitchers if they're caught? Uh, that they hit them in the wallet first and foremost. Um, I, I think that's where it starts. Ziggy, I, I, I am not well enough versed on, on to where these conversations are or kind of what category Major League Baseball slash the Players Association would factor this in. Uh, and, and then I think you go to the teams, right? Because somebody has to police this. And if your team gets caught, and we may never know about the teams that are getting fined or then imp- implicated in these kind of investigations. I think it starts first with a player fine, and then you go to the teams that have to have to clamp down on their players to do it. Thanks for doing this, Benny. Uh, we really appreciate the insight, and it's a, a fascinating story that I don't think is going away anytime soon. And what comes of it will be even more intriguing. And if it leads to more offense, best for the sport. Absolutely, I think 100%. It makes it more entertaining. I mean, baseball guys like me and you, Scotty, definitely. I mean, we love to see guys perform and kind of this ballet unfold, and that cannot happen without a baseball being put in play. We'll talk very soon, and, and we will talk a little Blue Jays next time we have you on. Look forward to it. <laughs> you got it, guys. Have a great morning. <laughs> ben Wagner, one of the play-by-play voices of the uh, Toronto Blue Jays on Sportsnet. Emma Bacalieri of Sports Illustrated. Uh, she did a tremendous follow-up piece following the story in SI that really blew this open late last week. She will join us at 7.50. We'll get back into the doctoring by pitchers of baseballs. Up next, Jeff Merrick on Vegas, Colorado. Marc-Andre Fleury's bounce back. Tampa Bay putting Carolina away in five games. It's either going to be Tampa Bay and the Nye Islanders or Tampa Bay and Boston. And if Boston comes back and beats the Islanders... Those are two upper echelon (coughs) Atlantic division rivals for the Maple Leafs meeting in the final four. Not going to be any easier for the Leafs next year. Jeff Merrick on all of that, plus the CN Tower next. since Hulk Hogan traded in the red and yellow for the black and white has there been a more surprising more surprising and angering color 
scheme change. The CN Tower goes from blue and white to bleu, blanc et rouge. We're doing a play on Jeff Merrick's great tweet last night. He had Hollywood Hulk Hogan in the black and white. Great heel turn by the CN Tower. <laughs> and Jeff Merrick is here. He's brought funny. to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. I just got to say, Jeff, yeah, I can't handle <laughs> people who, when their favorite NHL team is eliminated from the playoffs, default yeah. to, I'm going to cheer for the only Canadian-based team left. I, no, no, yeah. no, no. I'll tell you what. I'll be dead before I cheer for the Montreal Canadiens. That is yeah. my death will precede any decision I would ever make to cheer for the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, there's there's a whole lot of that amongst the Maple Leaf fandom. You know, your your parents sit you down when you're very young and say, uh, "Now, Scott, uh, I want you to remember you're a fan of two teams. You're a fan of the Maple Leafs and whoever's playing the Habs." That's a conversation uh, that I would imagine uh, has happened uh, with uh, w- with a lot of hockey fans here in Toronto. Um, first of all, thanks for that music coming in. That just made my morning <laughs> hearing uh, hearing Vic play that. That's um, the, that's well, like the greatest wrestling oh, it's entrance. Awesome. Yeah, it's great. Ever. It's, it's really it's it's, yeah. it's really fantastic. Um, I don't know. I kind of thought that was kind of an obvious one last night. Like I was late to get to that. I mean, late by Twitter standards, like three hours. Uh, late to get to that little controversy last night, and I'm surprised that no one sort of picked up on the uh, the uh, the pro wrestling heel turn uh, aspect of the CN Tower. But here we are uh, arguing about <laughs> about tourist attractions and which hockey team they support. Man, do we need something to do right now? Build your own tower if you want to put blue blanque rouge on it. <laughs> I see. Here's what I love about you, Scotty. There is there is no there is no calming you down about this. The, the more we try to calm you down, the more you double down. I, I I'm, not, I'm here to I'm here to say, Jeff, Scotty, I admire that. Jeff, I am not here to just whine and kvetch. I am mm-hmm. solution oriented. I've already okay. suggested that they take that weird thing that hovers over the Olympic Stadium <laughs> and patch it up with LED lights and blue and red it all the way all night. Like, have at it. It's yours. It's your city. Great. The CN Tower is shaped like a big middle finger, and it's sticking it out right at the rest of Leafs Nation in the middle of the city it's in. Like, I that, that to me, it's, it's just like this ongoing. People say, I get all these tweets, Jeff. Get over it. It's been more than a week. Get over it with the Leafs. I'm not the one throwing it back in my own face. I'm looking out my window. My westerly view last night is the blue and red CN Tower, which I would have thought nothing of except that I saw the CN Tower's tweet about what the blue and red was about. Okay, I have, I have something for you, Scotty. <clears throat> and this sort of winks at the, uh, at the tweet from last night. Do you think, because this is, a, this is a kind of a, a, a fun exercise to do, do you think you can go an entire day pretending that everything in your life is a pro wrestling angle? I think I spend most of my life thinking <laughs> that everything's a p- I need I need to explain what the hell's going on in this world to myself somehow. 
<laughs> because if if you do life in a, in a lot of ways, like I, th- I still maintain the pro wrestling can teach us a lot of things, can teach us about business, can teach us about interpersonal relationships, and can teach us just how to get through a day. If you go through your day pretending everything is a pro wrestling angle, on it, Scotty, trust yes. me, your life gets so much easier. You go, oh, that's a heel turn. Oh, that's a baby face turn. Oh, here's a swerve. Uh, oh, here's a comeback. Like you go, you, go you even wake day. up in the morning. You're like, do I feel like a heel or a baby face today? And if I yeah. feel like a baby face, I'll buy the person's coffee who's behind me in the drive-through. Yes, that sort yes. of thing. Yes, right? just treat everything like don't take any of it. Don't take any of it personally. All of it, like the whole thing is your whole life is just one big match. And all of it is just part of this little storyline that, you know, has, you know, crests and troughs and ups and downs and sideways swerves, etc. Your life becomes imminently more easy to navigate so and you're, get through when you just say, oh, this is just part of the story. You're effective, effectively saying it's it's all BS. There you yeah. go. Now it's it makes sense. A, it's all, co- it's makes all sense. cooperative. How about that? It's, there all, we go. it's all a cooperative play. It's all, it's all a play. If, if you don't like the pro wrestling, just say it, it's all theater. Right. That's mm-hmm. it. And at the end, we all get out and take a bow. And, and I am king, curtain. And that's it. Boom. Yeah. Vegas with a huge come from behind win in Colorado last night. So a road team oh. takes a game in the series. Vegas has all the momentum heading home for game six. One of these two teams, Knights or Avalanche, will be the Habs next opponent yeah how do you feel montreal stacks up against either i mean i don't like it if i'm montreal i mean the thing about vegas is and we thought we thought colorado played at pace but it's nothing like vegas like vegas grabs you by the leg and drags you into the deep end of the pool and says let's tread water i'm gonna tread water longer than you but let's see how long you can tread along with me like, they get to deep water fast. Like, opening puck drop, Scott. Like, they get out there fast, and that pace is consistent. You know, and outside of that first game where, you know, the Avalanche were, you know, running, or they, uh, uh, the Golden Knights were running on fumes and the Avalanche ran all over them, they've dominated this series. You know, specifically games two, three, and four. They completely dominated. You know, yesterday was a good open for Colorado, but then by the end of it, who was the fresher team? I mean, even Mark Stone, like consider this. Mark Stone on a breakaway from his own blue line. No one's ever gonna no one's ever gonna confuse Mark Stone for Pavel Bure. Right? He is not one of the fastest skaters. Like, go back and look. I've watched that breakaway now so many times. And one, it's a great shot. I mean, it's a hard it's a hard working player. But man, the skating's pretty ugly, Scott. Like if you just look at just like the the mechanics, and Ziggy can talk to this better than I can. The mechanics of how he's skating are pretty ugly. But he but he still gets there right before the defenseman swipes the stick to get the puck off his blade, and he goes top shelf on Philip Grubauer. This is still a team that plays at such a pace. I don't know if Montreal can keep up with that. So. Montreal's struggle is going to be how do we slow down the Vegas Golden Knights should it turn out to be Vegas and Montreal? That is going to be the story. Is it gonna is Vegas gonna be allowed to burn or is Montreal gonna bring this thing down to a to a turtle race, essentially? Yeah, I I, I think they're in tough against either. Um 
but they're in tough against the Leafs and they're in tough against the Jets. 100%. I well, mean, that, you're, I, you're totally right. You're yeah. totally right, Ziggy. Absolutely. Yeah, I just, but at this point, I, I don't know if it's, I think they're the best two teams in the league. I think Tampa Bay is a close third and Toronto's and Toronto was in that mix for me, but mm-hmm. Colorado and Vegas, this is the cup final for me. Um, and we, we saw this coming, right? end of the regular season. We knew this was going to happen, right? Colorado and Vegas, obviously Minnesota had a chance, but um, the Mark Stone stuff. Yeah. He's kind of, he reminds me of a Justin Williams and I know Justin Williams had the bad Achilles tear and wasn't the same after, but they're quick players, which uh, I mean, you can watch, watch a Luke Robitaille. Was he the fastest guy? Oh God. Ever? Oh no, but quick, but quick gets to the spots and smart, right? I kind of see them all in the same way. Yeah. Like Mark Stone, isn't going to blow you away. But you get him a chance, you know, down a wing, or you get him on a breakaway, and his shot is—it's one of the best in the league. Um, his release point, but uh, somebody who is really fast but has been held off the sheet is McKinnon. What uh, what do you think's going on with him? And does he does any? Do you look differently about the season he's had in the playoffs if they do get knocked out in Game Six? Uh it's a great question. Um, I don't think so. I still think that's an elite level player and one of the best in the game. I mean, these things, I mean, this is always, I, I always have a hard time coming to too many conclusions about hockey players positively or negatively in the playoffs because we're looking at such a small slice of their season. I mean, if if Nathan McKinnon goes cold for a week and a half in the, in the middle of February, Ziggy, do we mm-hmm. say, hmm, I think we really need to rethink Nathan McKinnon. Or do you just say, well, it's hockey, man. Like, you're not going to get two and a half points uh, every single night. Like, that average isn't isn't going uh, isn't gonna to stay. So I always, I mean, the, the, the history of the NHL is littered with managers that have made too much about a performance of a player, either positively or negatively, in the playoffs. Again, this is such a small little sample. Uh, of their season, I'm not willing to make you know sweeping generalizations. I mean, outside of you know a couple of outliers like you know Claude Lemieux, who was always like ultimate playoff guy, like regular season, whatever. Um, Corey Perry is uh, perhaps another example of that. But by and large, I, I try to I try to temper myself and make sure that I don't. Uh, think that I have things figured out about a player just based on you know a, a slice of their their career that lasts about seven or eight days. So for for me, it's a long winded way, Ziggy. For me, saying nah, it doesn't change a thing for me for anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm just, like it doesn't change it for me. I just I I'm getting a lot of messages about them saying oh they sh- they they shut him out again and just I said it happens. It's a good team. But if the playoff, I'm telling Scotty for two years, the playoffs start tomorrow. Whom who am I taking first overall? It's, it's been McKinnon for two years. And hmm. you yeah. can have little lulls for two, three games. But I think he is going to wear a lot of it, though, if they do get, if they do lose this next one. I think the whole, yeah, I think he will. I think the, um, I wonder what Philip Grubauer gets here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I wonder what, you know, Miko Rantanen gets Nazem Kadri. Uh well that's another one. I'm glad you got us there too because this would be another <laughs> playoff uh where Nazem Kadri's uh suspension significantly uh significantly costs his team. You know, maybe the Elliot Friedman was making this point on the last podcast, you know, maybe the most important person in this series was the arbitrator. 
Oh. Is, the, is, is the arbitrator for the for the country suspension? <laughs> the arbitrator came back and up, upheld the uh, 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 upheld the uh, uh, the eight games. So mm-hmm. that may if you're going to look for an MVP, maybe for the for the Vegas Golden Knights in this series. So far as maybe you can make the argument, with all due respect to Mark Stone and Mark Andre Fleury, who have all been excellent, Alex Petrangelo, Jonathan Marshall. So maybe the MVP is the arbitrator. With Jeff Merrick on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Just as a point of clarification, does Shifley sit? the opener next year as the fourth game of the suspension. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, was, I was just wondering yes. if the league, yes, that's the one yeah. if the league could pull back on that and say, well, you know, three games in a playoff series is really six by our calculations in the regular season. So we rescind the final game. I, I, I don't know if that's something they can do would do, but as we sit here right now, Shifley would, would sit on opening night brings me around to a guy like Paul Maurice who. You know, it's getting lauded after Winnipeg sweeps Edmonton, and now people are asking about his future, not people necessarily within the Jets organization, but talk is swirling around Paul Maurice after they get swept by the Habs in the second round. And I wonder, Jeff, if Paul Maurice is the second or third year head coach of the Winnipeg Jets and not the eighth year head coach of the Winnipeg Jets, is mm-hmm. this conversation even happening? Like you always wonder sometimes do some people start to think, well, he's been here for a while, so if change is needed, change yeah. for the sake of change type thing. Yeah. No, I, 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 uh, I, I get that. I, I still think, we were talking about this on Hockey Central yesterday, I still don't think that the Winnipeg Jets have really recovered from losing Dustin Bufflin. Like, if you look at what's happened to that organization since Bufflin left, um, it's been it's been much different. Specifically, that blue line. I mean, he's such a unique presence on that on that back end. But the, the interesting thing about um, uh, about Paul Maurice here is, I I wonder how much how much in like I don't ultimately I, I don't think anything's going to happen to Paul Maurice. Just like I don't think anything's going to happen to Kevin Chevaldeoff. Although cause you might look at him and say, okay, well, he didn't do enough to help that blue line at trade deadline, even though they tried, you know with all their might to get Jamie Alexiak. Um, you know, uh, I don't think anything happens to either of those two. Um, but, you know, it isn't exactly a, a, a secret that Winnipeg management wanted to see more of Vili Heinola and wanted to see more of him on the back end, the puck-moving guy. But it was the coaching staff that defaulted more to players like Logan Stanley. Now, Logan Stanley turned himself into, you know, albeit in the third pairing role turned himself into a real nice piece on that blue line and he was the only player that scored those two goals in that in that closeout game against the Montreal Canadiens um I don't think that they've recovered from the Dustin Bufflin situation the Pierre-Luc Dubois Patrick Laine Jack Roslovic uh trade this year didn't work out for anybody and I don't know if Dubois was injured. He certainly looked like he was injured. There wasn't a strength and stride uh, for Pierre-Luc Dubois. But there were a lot of things, the Shifley suspension. Like, there were a lot of things conspiring against the Winnipeg Jets after they swept the Edmonton Oilers. So I don't know that there's going to be... I don't know if there's going to be much discussion internally other than I'm pretty sure that they would have rather seen more Heinola than uh, than anyone else of those defensemen they could have chosen from, whether it's you know Jordy Ben who came in at deadline or Logan Stanley, as they were looking to 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 fill out that back end. That might be the only spot that I look at and say there might be some questions for Paul Maurice specifically about that move. But again, that's not the difference between you know beating and not beating the Montreal Canadiens in the second round. There's a whole lot of other things that conspired against Winnipeg. 
Tampa Bay knocks off Carolina. Uh, 11 games played, five goals, 13 assists, 18 points. Um, that is the stat line of Nikita Kucherov. I told Scotty he went undercover and played in the cage all year. Avangard uh, Omsk. Tell, tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> tell me I'm First, wrong. Metalurg Magnitogorsk. So what you're wow. saying is be- because they went over the salary cap so much, they should have to actually <laughs> win six games in a, in, yes. a, in a best of seven. They, they, yes. they, they want this like King Kong Bunny to go back to pro wrestling. They want the five count, not the three, because you're so much over the salary cap <laughs> because you had Kucherov out. You should have to win six games. Um, God, he's a marvelous player. He like, plays the, a different the, way. Like it's a different. It's he plays. He's not just skill. Like everyone looks at him, you're like, okay, he's a skilled guy that can score. It's more than that, right? Yeah, you know the thing that always, that has always impressed me. The thing that's always impressed me about this edition of the Tampa Bay Lightning. If you just look at the forwards, and we marvel at the skill and how they throw it around, right? And you look at Point, and you mention Kucherov, and you throw in Sorelli and Palat, and then you get down to that, you know, that Gord and, and Coleman, and even going down to your, your your fourth line. If you look at the forward composition outside of Steven Stamkos, who was a first overall draft pick. Can you name me one first round pick? Mm. There's not one. Yeah. Yeah. There is not right. one outside of Stamco's first round draft pick in that forward mix for the Tampa Bay Lightning. They have done such a marvelous job, not just drafting, but developing players for that team. You remember how Detroit was always the model? Like Detroit and Grand Rapids, that was it. And Ken Holland used to always say, uh, over-ripen these players in, uh, in the American League, and then when they're ready, they graduate to the Red Wings. Really what he was saying is, we have no room for these guys. Like we have, no, like we have to leave you know, Hoodler and Philpola down there because we have no room in this lineup. You look at what Tampa's done with Syracuse, their American Hockey League affiliate. It's a, it's a master class in developing and, and, and finding value in, uh, in hockey players. And you're seeing it. Like, I know we can all laugh and, oh, look what they did. And they hit all this money and came back and now they're dominant. Good on Julian Brisebois. Good mm-hmm. on Julian I mean, For how long did we say Brisebois is going to be the next great executive in the NHL while Steve Eisman was a general manager there? This is Julian Brisebois just doing what Julian Brisebois does. You know, we always say, oh, he's in a, Tampa's in a pickle. Oh, it's going to cost them Alex Kalorn, and they're going to have to get rid of Yanni Gord, and this team's going to be different. And then they don't. Now, if Anthony Sorelli magically has surgery that keeps him out of the season next year, I think we start to say, okay, hold on. Hold or on point after, or, or point the following year. Like, this yeah, is going like, to be, come on. He's having hip surgery in October, but he'll be ready for the middle of April. Hmm, okay. But listen, I think Tampa's just flat out fun to watch. Another interesting thing about Tampa, they were always guilty of the extra pass. Like whenever you would watch Tampa, specifically on the power play, they would always, you know, they'd be in a great position, set it all up, ready for a shot. And then and I guess you do this because you're so highly skilled. Ziggy, you've probably been part of teams like this. You make that extra pass that costs you and the coach just mm-hmm. goes, well, someone please shoot the puck. Tampa's always been guilty of that. But instead of becoming more conservative and taking the shot, it's almost as if they're saying, we're going to keep making that extra pass, but we're going to finish. Like they, you get the sense that Tampa is always challenging themselves to be better, setting a, setting a, a, a threshold that is impossibly high and hitting it on a consistent basis. To me, they're one of the most impressive teams in the league. And, you know, 
what more can you say about Andre Vasilevsky? And there's Rod Brindamore last mm-hmm. night comparing him to uh, mm-hmm. to Dominic Hasek, which I think is, you know, no one's going to play like the Dominator. No one can play like the Dominator. But if you look at, like, your Gumby goaltenders out there who are never out of a play, Vasilevsky's probably the closest we have to Dominic Hasek. Right? And Rod the Bot even says, like, Vasilevsky makes it look easier. Than Hashik did. Well, yeah, because Hashik was always awkward. Like, what is he doing, man? That looks <laughs> yeah. Like when you like, how many times have you looked at Scotty? How many times have you looked at the Hashik role and said, "Ugh, how does he make that save?" He's he's stacking the pads vertical as he's yes. lying flat on his back facing the net and coming. Oh, yeah. he was he was unbelievable. That's uh, ever. We'll That's leave it there, ever. Jeff. And and I, I just want to say on your way out the door that I'm really looking forward to late tonight when the CN Tower is lit up blue and orange in honor of the Islanders because Matt Barzell <laughs> is from BC and we need to make sure that we honor Canada. Okay, very good. So I, I'm, I'm glad that you're finally embracing how pro wrestling can affect your life once you just put on <laughs> pro wrestling glasses and you and you 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 know you you filter your entire life through a pro wrestling angle. Yes, it becomes it becomes easier to walk around. Of all the Americisms you've shared on this program, that one tops the list. It is my favorite. <laughs> like Life pro is a pro wrestling angle. Yes. Uh, we'll talk next week, pal. Always look forward to it. See you, gents. Be Jeff well. Merrick of Hockey Central at noon here on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, 31 Thoughts, the podcast, which he co-hosts with Elliot Friedman and from the NHL on Sportsnet. Jeff, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. So, Spider Tack and other sticky substances, doctoring baseballs. This didn't start yesterday. Last week, last month, last year, last decade. It's been going on throughout baseball's 150-year history. And Emma Bacalieri of Sports Illustrated has a great piece up detailing it. She will join us. And here is the headline of the article that Emma Bacalieri of Sports Illustrated has written. MLB's pitch doctoring epidemic is nothing new. And Emma joins us this morning to discuss. Emma, thanks so much for your time. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, how are you? We're, we're very well. So Sports Illustrated, uh, the company for which you work, the publication for which you work, sort of blew the lid off this thing last week. And there have been follow-ups by ESPN, etc. in the aftermath. And, and you have a follow-up piece detailing the history of of pitchers doctoring baseballs throughout the 150 or so years of the game. Um, Give us one or two old school, really kind of interesting examples of pitchers doctoring baseballs. Yeah, I mean, as you said, this has been going on a a really long time, about as long as the baseball itself. Um, But I, I think to start at the very beginning, one of the things that's interesting is, you know, we talk about the spitball as being like the first example of this you know, before you had something like sunscreen or Vaseline you, you had good old-fashioned spit and that was you know always available and that was what you put on the ball but it, back in the like at the beginning of baseball you know early 1900s 1910s 1920s what made a spitball so effective was the fact that you were chewing a ton of tobacco at all times and so your spit uh, was not only you know the consistency of spit, but it was also it would make the ball brown and make it harder to see. So it had the double effect of uh, you know the way that spit will give you better grip and change the motion a little. It also made the ball like literally discolored 
um, because your spit was, you know, brown from chewing tobacco. So the original spitballs were actually uh, much grosser, but also much harder to hit because they were plain harder to see. So that that was how it started, where you had spitballs that were um, had kind of the double angle of, of not only being covered in spit, but also being discolored from tobacco. Um, and then you just had a ton of stuff over the years since. You've seen sunscreen, you've seen Vaseline, you've seen pine tar, rosin, boiled Coca-Cola. Um, apparently, you know, changes something to the, the way that Coke works and you can mix it in with sunscreen. There's just so much stuff out there and it's been changing for a long time. So now I can, is, did you say Coca-Cola? Yes, if you boil oh. it and then you mix okay. it with sunscreen. So now I can take the rust off the around the the edges of my car, um, and I can also use it to throw a better fastball. I'm I'm happy now. I got two <laughs> two uses for Coca Cola. <laughs> um, do pitch? Do you think pitchers are going to make the case and say, "Well, pine tar is allowed by the hitter, so why should I not be allowed to use it for throwing a pitch?" Yeah, I mean, I, I think it. I. I it sounds kind of maybe counterintuitive, but I do kind of almost feel for pitchers here and that a lot of them have been doing this for years. MLB has really turned a blind eye to it, even though it's against the rules. Um, and that's created an environment where some guys feel like they, they kind of have to do it because you need it for a competitive advantage when it seems like everyone around you is doing it. Managers don't want to call out opponents because they know their own guys are doing it. And so it's just created this system where, you know, pitchers feel like they've kind of had to do it and now they're suddenly going to have a crackdown and who knows how these punishments are going to be applied. It's, it's kind of messy. And so, yeah, I mean, I think for pitchers, I, I think you look at, you know, okay, well, hitters use pine tar. You give us rosin bags on the mound that are supposed to be just for drying off our hands, but not for applying anything to the ball. But there's kind of a lot of space for gray area here. And, um, you know, obviously they've been breaking the rules this whole time, but I can also see how it's frustrating for them to feel like MLB was really turning a blind eye to this when it was convenient for them. And now that it's become a big issue, they're finally stepping in, even though they could have done something about this, you know, a long time ago if they wanted to. With Emma Bacaliari of Sports Illustrated, this is leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan. Part of it too, Emma, and you detail a situation from June of 1963, a game between the L.A. Angels and the then Kansas City Athletics, where a manager accused a pitcher on the other team of doctoring baseballs, but he did it the day after as opposed to going to the umpire during the game. And one of the reasons that that may have happened was that he was on the other side of the deal two or three weeks prior when one of his pitchers was doctoring baseballs. And I think that that's part of the deal here in this day and age is that you've got 30 major league baseball teams. You've got pitchers on all of them who to one degree or another are doctoring baseballs. And you've got teams like the Los Angeles Dodgers, the New York Yankees who've committed 35 to 40 or so million dollars per year to pitchers like Trevor Bauer and Garrett Cole. And these organizations are not necessarily, um, and that's probably a, an understatement, are not at all interested in watching those pitchers' spin rates go down so early into long-term contracts. They don't want these guys to turn into average Joes. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it really created a messy situation here, or sticky situation, if you'll go with the pun, just because, yes, teams have really bought into this, and there was no indication that the league was going to start enforcing it. Um, I think one of the reasons they have is that the quality of sticky substance has really gone up over the last few years. Like, it's not just sunscreen and Vaseline anymore. It's that there's this thing called spider tack, which strong men use. That's what Garrett Cole was asked about yesterday and kind of didn't really have an answer and froze in the headlights and was stumbling over his words to, to try to say he didn't want to talk about it. Um, there's also stuff that is developed in-house. Um, I, obviously, you mentioned the Dodgers. They're one team that's been talked about a lot here and nothing has officially come out, but big suspicions that a, a team such as them might be using, you know, relying on asking chemists, okay, what is the best version of this we can make? What should we be combining? Um, and it's gotten really good. Guys, spin rates are going up by huge amounts. The RPMs on a, a curveball can be up, you know, really dramatically and just uh, uh, from start to start. You can see when someone might have started using something like this. And because it's just gotten so good, after teams have already bought into pitchers whose games have, you know, relied on this a lot, after teams have kind of built whole models around this, now it's kind of, you know, the, now that MLB is stepping in and saying, this isn't okay, we're going to try to do something about it, it is kind of like pulling the wreck out from under them. And uh, yeah, I'm sure teams like that are not happy about this at all. Do you think they should just? legalize just one substance to use and nothing else? Or do you want them to take it out of the game and suspend players if they do are caught with something on their hands or something on the ball after they're done pitching? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting that you bring up the idea of legalizing just one, because I do think that would be potentially more beneficial for everyone. And I do understand people who say like, all of this should be gone. Like the rules from the beginning have said, no substances, no matter what it is, no saliva, no dirt, no anything. If you've ever been doing that, you've been breaking the rules, it's wrong for the game. Like That's true, and I see that. But there's actually two reasons that guys will use substances. Obviously, the one we're hearing about right now is um, to improve the motion on a pitch, to get better spin rate. That's a huge one. That's what we're seeing right now. But the other one is to improve your grip um, just a little bit. And that's something that you know you don't need to use spider attack you don't need to use a a fancy formulated substance to to do that um but improving your grip actually it is a a big thing for a long time when that was what was going on you know 10 15 years ago you never see really hitters speak up about that because hitters want pitchers to have a good grip too because hitters don't want to get hit um like you want the pitcher to have a better idea of where the ball is going coming out of his hand and um it I think it's one thing if you can find a substance that plays more to those concerns, which are, you know is part of why pitchers have been using to for a long time, just to make them feel a little more secure in their grips, to try to decrease the rate of hit by pitches, versus a substance that is you know primarily just for increasing spin rate and making pitches harder to hit. Um, I think when you talk to some pitchers now, they'll say, like, "Yes, this is a problem," but also like we need to feel okay about our grip, which as MLB has changed the baseball, if you've heard about deaden in the baseball, which is something they did this year, um, that's, you know, something that hasn't necessarily gotten quite as much attention, but it is that they made a change to the physical baseball this year because they, they wanted to see fewer home runs. And some pitchers have said, well, yes, like it, it's harder to grip this new ball. 
if you want to change the baseball, if you want to talk about things like that, like is the ball juiced, how did you dejuice it, when that starts to affect grip, it makes sense to, I think, give pitchers one substance to kind of address those concerns about making sure that they can have a better grip on the ball without going into the territory of, um, you know, blocking out absolutely everything and kind of just creating potentially even a a bigger mess by removing not only the spin rate, increasing substances, but any substance at all, including, including those that are more for just controlling grip. Fascinating story on SI.com, Emma, just a deep dive into the pitch doctoring epidemic that has gone on, I would say, through the decades for more than a century now in Major League Baseball. Thank you so much for your time this morning, and we'll talk again soon. Yeah, thanks. Have a, have a good one. I met Emma Bacalieri of Sports Illustrated, and SI has been at the forefront of some of this pitch doctoring coverage over the last week, week plus in Major League Baseball. Dan Schulman, Brian Lawton ahead, Adnan Verk on the other side. But first, here's what we're talking about this morning on leadoff. Sportsnet 590, the fan, the Tampa Bay Lightning are the second team to punch their ticket to the NHL semifinals. A 2-0 win in Carolina over the Hurricanes. Tampa Bay takes the series in five. Andre Vasilevsky, 29 saves in the shutout. Braden Point with his eighth goal of the playoffs. Nikita Kucherov had an assist on that goal, his 18th point of the playoffs do the math the lightning have played only 11 games beating florida in six carolina in five vegas was down two nothing storm back in the third to tie it won it in overtime on mark stone's fifth of the playoffs three two over the avalanche so vegas will go home with a chance to clinch that series in game six tomorrow night remember the winner of vegas colorado will play host in game one uh, to the montreal canadians in the nhl semifinals Blue Jays, 6-1 losers in Chicago last night. Really disappointing result. The Blue Jays had a bunch of offensive opportunities and really just never capitalized. They wasted a 13-strike, six-plus inning appearance from Robbie Ray. Uh, The Blue Jays back in action tonight. First pitch a little after 8 o'clock on Sportsnet 590. The fan and in the NBA playoffs, 76ers tie their series at a game apiece with a 118-102 victory over the Atlanta Hawks. That series shifts to Atlanta now. The Utah Jazz... Beat Kawhi in the clip, 112-109 in come-from-behind fashion. At a great second half, Utah takes a one-game-to-none series lead. Brian Lawton in just a little bit. Dan Schulman after the uh, 8.30 break. Adnan Verk of the NHL and MLB Networks and the GM Shuffle Podcast is with us now. Morning, pal. What's up? <laughs> What's up, Scotty? How we doing, man? I just was commenting to Vic. You guys are loaded with guests today. Six guests back to back to back to back. They are cramming in the stars today. We here are on the show. We are, and I think you're the first guest who's loaded. So, <laughs> I mean, we have an inebriated Adam yes. joining us. Yes, not mine. Not mine. Oh my God! All right, <laughs> let's talk about sticky balls. Adnan, and not because it's been 95 (laughs) degrees in suburban New York City over the last few days. Why now? Why is this all of a sudden the epidemic that everybody's talking about? Makes me think of the Alec Baldwin sketch from SNL talking about his sweaty balls. But yes, uh, honestly, Scotty, I think what's happened is the league collectively has said, 
hey, right now we got to improve the game. Like, it's okay to love baseball and have it be your favorite sport and still say, we can improve this. There could be some tinkering to make this better. And right now, if you watch a baseball game, 25% of the time, guys are striking out. That's just way too much swing and miss for a fan who wants to see a ball put in play. We've talked about pace of play. Now it's about putting the ball in play. And we know it's all about three true outcomes, home runs, and strikeouts and walks. So I think the league said, you know what? We have a league-wide batting average right now of 236. That's the lowest since the famous year of the pitcher, 1968, when Bob Gibson had a 1.12 ERA. Jacob DeGrom, by the way, is a .72 ERA. He could challenge Gibson's mark, which was thought to be unbeatable. So we start looking around and go, okay, what can we do? Well, everyone knows there was a new ball put in place, right? Well, the ball hasn't done anything. Apparently, it's 1% lighter. The ball doesn't travel faster. In fact, it's made it harder for the hitters because it actually increases spin rate, which is the big fashionable topic being used all the time right now when it comes to pitchers and sticky substances. So I think what happened is the leagues, you know what? There's not nearly enough offense. What is this about? And Charlie Blackman, as he was quoted in that great essay article, I know I was just listening to Emma. You know, he said, I'm tired of everybody saying the reason why there's no runs is all these guys just swing for home runs. And it's the hitter's fault. It's their approach. No, it's because all these guys throw 97. And if you saw the movement on these pitches, it's impossible to hit. And oh, where is the movement coming from? It's because of these sticky substances. And we've come a long way, Scotty and Ziggy, from Eddie Seacott and the shine ball. He'd put talcum powder in his pocket. Remember the Black Sox, the great David Strathairn played in the movie uh, by John Sales. We've come a long way from Gaylord Perry. You know, wrote a book called Me and the Spitter. He'd have KY jelly lubing on the ball. This is a different element. You know, those those guys may have been at some level endearing. This is so widespread. One National League reliever said 80 to 90% of pitchers are using stuff, and that's just too much. Does it change the way you look at a Trevor Bauer or uh Garrett Cole? Like, does it or Cole? Like, does it affect the way you think of these guys now? Like if if they've been cheating in a sense this whole time, are you like, well, these guys aren't the pitchers that they should be because like, do you equate it with performance enhancing drugs? I know we've been kind of comparing it to that, but it's, it's different for me. It is different for me as well, Scotty. I think when you're putting something in your body, I, I think it's just a different issue as performance enhancing drugs. But I do think if you're doctoring the ball a little bit, that's not totally fair play for specifically Bauer and Cole. I'd have to see the results of an entire season. Like I'm not going to look at just one start and go, Oh wow. Look, his spin rate was down. Oh, it's because they're not using that stuff. I'm like, okay, maybe that was it. Maybe he's just having an off day. So I'm not a rush to judgment guy on those two specifically, but if we can look over the course of the season and Bauer and Cole aren't nearly as effective as they've been in the past and the spin rate numbers prove that to be, then yes, I'll kind of look at them with a jaundiced eye and say, huh, I still think they're really good pitchers, but clearly they were having an impact what they were doing with the ball. Fine. A lot of guys were using it. I'm not condoning this behavior. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, um, but I, it's a little bit disappointing, I would say. It's almost like a father's. Like, yeah, I'd say, well, I'm disappointed. I thought you guys were better than that. I thought you didn't need to use that stuff. Fine. Use every advantage at your disposal. I get that aspect of it, but I'd like to see you be a stud without using this stuff. And by the way, I know you guys talked about it, but like the, the material they're using, it's insane. Like that, that like spider tack, whatever it is, like this is what weightlifters use to lift a cinder block with their palm. Like mm -hmm. one pitcher said, like they literally went through airport security and when they brushed his fingers said, you have explosives on your fingers. He said, no, no, it's just some stuff I was using. I took a shower. Sorry, don't worry about it. Like this isn't just, you know, like the great scene in The Naked Gun where Leslie Nielsen goes out and the guy's got like a nail file, sandpaper. <laughs> He's got like a fan cut up the ball. Okay, no problem. Keep it going. As long as you're not trying to kill the queen, no problem. This is like a different element of sticky stuff. Enrico Palazzo. <laughs> Greatest oh anthem God, singer ever. Oh my God, it's Enrico Palazzo. <laughs> Just, oh, geez.
Um, well, I like, I, I just look at all of this and, and I think to myself, the league has known about this. I mean, maybe they're doing a deeper dive investigation, but they've known about this. They've known about this forever. It, and, and I, I'm glad though, Adnan, we're pivoting off the Charlie Blackman comment while we're all swinging for the fences. I, I agree with that. The other thing is I'm, yeah. I'm glad we're now starting to pivot off the, you have to outlaw the shift. Yeah. If you outlaw the shift, well, that'll open up holes on the uh, pull side of the diamond for guys and, and more hits will go through and it'll get us back to the old days. No, we're now attacking the issue. And unlike the steroid era where you could make the argument that it worked for baseball, especially coming out of the 1994 strike where there needed to be some excitement in the game. So some McGuire 98, Barry Bonds and his, his new jaw showing up in 99, 73 home <laughs> runs in 2001, obliterated the record books and, and has hit more home runs than anybody else. I'm sure baseball doesn't like that. You can't make the argument that what pitchers are doing right now is improving the experience for the viewer. There's, there's no yeah, joy there's... in Mudville with this. There's too <laughs> much mud on the baseball. And so there's no joy in Mudville. So, so I think, well, it might anger the Dodgers who've paid Bauer 40 plus million, and it might anger the Yankees who are in year two of a nine-year contract with a $36 million AAV for Garrett Cole. And Garrett Cole was a real gem yesterday answering Ken Davidoff's <laughs> question uh, about whether he'd ever, ever use spider tack. Uh, well, it may upset organizations who've gone all in investing in big name pitching Ultimately, this will be best for the game if they can somehow nip this in the bud. A hundred percent, Scotty. To go back to your point about the shift, Mark Teixeira, former Yankee, I worked with at ESPN. He's a great guy. He hated the shift. And I said, I get it. As a hitter, fine. He was a pull guy. He's like, man, this is the worst. He goes, look at him basketball. You know, they outlawed illegal defense. Like nobody grows up in Little League with a shift on. And I said, I understand all your points. And yes, I like to see more offense. And yes, if it's my team, it's frustrating when a guy hits into the shift. But to your point, Anytime you're ruling against intelligence, I have an issue with that, right? The shift was born about by intelligence, by people looking at the numbers and going, huh, well, why are we playing this straight up? This guy clearly pulls, et cetera, et cetera. And Joe Madden and the Rays were very influential in it. And the amount of shifting in the last 10 years has increased enormous amount. And again, I get it when your team is getting job, but so somebody's smart and you're going to penalize them for that? And at least in this instance, you're using a foreign substance. It's the sticky stuff which shouldn't be used. And now I think, I mean, they haven't said officially, but my guess is uh, starting pitchers will get checked at least once a game. I'm sure relievers will get checked and the umpires will be able to say, okay, you're out of here. Like if I see sticky stuff on your fingers, 10-game suspension, just as it used to be when guys would get caught doctoring stuff the old way with sandpaper and stuff when we were growing up. What are you more shocked in, the Habs sweeping the Jets or the fact that in Toronto we lit up the CN Tower in the Canadians' colors? <laughs> it's got to be the what, CN Tower. Also, what is more evil? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's got to be the CN Tower because I'm like, wait a second. Like, I, I thought it was a headline from The Onion, the great satirical website. This, can't be, this cannot be my hometown doing this, but I, I, it's shocking. I mean, I guess it shows... Hey, the level of chivalry right now in Toronto, they're grateful towards Montreal and Mike Gentile and George Stromalopoulos and all the Habs fans that live in Toronto. Um, the, the Montreal sweep of the Jets, Ziggy, it's interesting. It's surprising, but it's not shocking because only in hockey, you can get these number eight seeds going to run, right? The Oilers back in mm -hmm. 06, making the cup final. You know, we've seen this happen in hockey, whereas in basketball, 
we already know, like, listen, this, the big names from the big stars are going to be there. Like you say, well, LeBron's out. But yeah, they were a lower seed this year, and Anthony Davis was hurt. Whereas in basketball, you go, yeah, of course Giannis is still there, and the Nets are going to go deep, and yeah, Utah is a number one seed, and yeah, Phoenix is a high seed. Like, you'll never see a basketball eight seed. When it happens, it's momentous. Like, Dikemi Mutombo and the Nuggets beating the Sonics, that image of him holding the ball when they beat George Carl's team. It rarely happens in other sports that deep. Whereas in hockey, you go, yeah. I can see that happening. I'm like, what do you mean? They're number 18. They're a 500 hockey club, and they're down 3-1. They beat the Leafs. They sweep the Jets. Now they're four wins away from the Stanley Cup final. I go, yeah, kind of in hockey it happens, as strange as it can be. So I thought the Jets would put up more of a fight. I like their team, but Montreal's in a run. The CN Tower, though, definitely more shocking. Give Mark Bergevin a six-year contract. I mean, <laughs> why not at this point? He's obviously built them into a, a, a winner. Um Tampa Bay. All I want is his Taylor, Scotty. I need Verge version. It's Taylor immediately. Yeah. Yes, exactly. We should all have a red suit. Tampa <laughs> Bay, Carolina. I mean, the Bolts look great. Braden Point with his eighth goal. Kucherov's got 18 points in 11 playoff games. And then you got Vegas, Colorado, knock down, drag them out. Big come from behind overtime win for the Golden Knights, and they can secure it on home ice tomorrow to go on to play the Habs. Like, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here. Adnan, and and I'm wondering if you think Montreal can stack up against its next opponent, which will be either Vegas or Colorado. Yeah, I know better than to underestimate them, Scotty, but I don't think they can. I mean, coming into the playoffs, they said the three best teams in whatever order you like are Colorado, Tampa, and Vegas. And Tampa, as you demonstrated, with Vasilevsky shut the door of the shutout, just a nice, solid win. That team is solid top to bottom, as we know. They're going to move on in the East. I, I think that they're going to win versus the Islanders. Well, it remains to be seen if the Islanders, by the way, finish off Boston. And for Montreal, listen, the resilience of Vegas. You talk about Montreal's resilience being down 3-1. For Vegas, do you get you lose 7-1 to against Colorado? You're down 0-2 in that series. You're able to roar back. And watching that game last night, Saad's goal where Marc-Andre Fleury whiffed so badly. I said, oh, my God, that's the kind of goal that can doom a series. Like there was 0.8 seconds left in the period. You give up a goal like that, it's so deflating. It's so frustrating. Ziggy can tell you. I said, man, Colorado's going to win this game. Maybe they'll win it at six. Instead, Vegas comes back. Stone scores the winner. So to me, it feels like Vegas and the Lightning. I always cheer for a couple upsets along the way. And obviously for Canadians fans, maybe they'll be different. But that's what it feels like to me. Thank you for doing this, pal. It's uh, always good to hear your voice. And uh, you know we will be talking to you at this time next Wednesday, as we always plan to. Scotty and Ziggy, I appreciate it. Brian Lawton's coming up next. This well, is like following Brad Pitt in like on. a looks contest. So good luck to Lawton. Hold on a second. We're going to keep you on the oh. line. Apparently, Brian yes. Lawton is, <laughs> yes. is from the NHL Network is on the line. Mm -hmm. Brian, don't let him run you like that. Don't let him run you like that. You can fire oh, back I'm at Adnan. I'm used to it with Adnan. I'm used to Hey, Adnan, I got nothing. If you look at me, I got nothing. Just remember <laughs> no, that. No, that's not true. No. <laughs> Lots has model good looks. He's got unbelievable hair. He's sharp. He's funny. We love Lots. He's the best. All right. There. I'm just glad we gave you two enough time to kiss and make up. Uh, thanks for <laughs> thanks for this, Adnan. You know we'll talk next week. Thanks, guy. Thanks, Ziggy. Lots. I'll see you soon. There okay, you go. Adnan, great to hear your voice, Adnan Verk of. Uh... So cheap. <laughs> I, I, I love it. The moment he hangs up and can't defend himself, you're all over him. Uh, Brian Lawton from the oh, NHL. He, 
Fire away. He's so cheap, guys. He, he's doing this radio show just so he can say hello to his parents in Canada. That's how cheap that is. <laughs> there, he doesn't want to like, make the collect. <laughs> he doesn't want to make the long distance call. <laughs> and only Adnan would still oh, think man. you have to call collect. Oh boy. Although, <laughs> although data rates data rates may apply cross border. Uh, yeah. Brian Lawton no, from the uh, on, a serious, on a serious note, guys, I have to tell you, I did the draft with Adnan last year, and let me tell you, that guy's a superstar. Seriously. Fantastic. He came in out of baseball and just was incredible. Okay, sorry to interrupt you. I apologize. Well, you know, you know, it, 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 there's a rule. If you're Canadian, you know just a little bit of hockey. A, at least a little bit of hockey. Uh, here's Brian Lawton of the NHL Network. First overall draft pick in 1983 and a uh, former NHL GM, former uh, GM of the Tampa Bay Lightning, player agent at one time as well. So, Brian, I'm, I'm interested in this the Maple Leafs are obviously an elite regular season team. I still believe they should have beaten the Montreal Canadiens in the first round playoff matchup. Some people are telling me to get over it. I think eventually I will. I haven't yet. The Canadians, though, have not lost since they lost game four to the Leafs to go down three games to one in that first round playoff series. And there's a lot of talk about, quote, being built for the playoffs. I'm wondering what are the key differences to you between being built for the regular season and being built for the playoffs and also whether it's good that teams who succeed in the regular season sometimes get knocked out in the playoffs because they're, quote, not built for it. Okay. Well, first off, I don't think it's great when your stars aren't playing. Those are the people that, those are the players that people identify with the most. But, you know, you can learn a lot every year, and the NHL is cyclical. But right now, clearly what's going on is top-heavy teams are not doing well. The Edmonton Oilers swept in the first round. Toronto Maple Leafs lose to an opponent that everybody thought they would win, not easily, but handily. Colorado Avalanche. Another top-heavy team under the gun right now. Uh, Hockey is not basketball. That's all we're seeing this year. It's a bit of a shocker, but until you can build out your club to withstand a seven-game season, I don't necessarily think that's going to change. The Tampa Bay Lightning have a lot of stars, and last night, who wins the game for them? You know, it's really their depth players that drive home the win. It always helps to have a great goaltender. We're seeing that. That's for sure in Vasilevsky's case. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it's really an interesting time, and I think you have to learn from it. And one thing about Toronto is they seem to continually just try to buck that trend or ignore that trend or pretend like it doesn't exist. I don't know how you do that. So for the Leafs, you think more depth up front is one of the – cures i guess for what's happening yeah. right now with this organization i do believe that i really do yeah. you know it's it's yeah. a lot different to win in the regular season than it is to win in the playoffs we're seeing that now montreal is kind of driving home the extreme at least it should for the toronto maple leafs would um would you- yeah we'll see how that we'll see how they do next round against teams that you know certainly vegas if they end up playing them is similar to Montreal in that they play a heavy brand of hockey, and that's what everybody points to. But they also have more depth 
that Montreal does. And that will be, so, you know, their challenge and we'll get more data and people will make more determinations on how to build their club. So for the Leafs, would that mean moving a player to open up more cap space? Like right now, there's four players tied up at 40 million. Do you, do you make a move there to change to get more depth? Because I don't know how else they do it with a flat cap, right? Yeah, no, I, I clearly think that is their path to get to where they're trying to go. It's a little bit of a shame that they didn't recognize it this year because this year, you know, at least to get to the semifinals was, you know, as wide open as it's been for the Toronto Maple Leafs in 20 years. So that, that one hurts a little bit, but they'll recover. And to be fair to the Leafs and a lot of other teams, you know, they got caught in a pandemic, which you can't expect anyone to plan for. Um, I'm not surprised they said what they said after the year. I'm curious to see if they follow through on their comments, though, where they think they're fine. And, you know, trying to cobble together your roster, you know, with minimum level players uh, is tough to do. I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's re- you got to get really, really lucky. And every time we add more team, more competition, it becomes even more difficult as we're facing another expansion draft here, of course, this offseason. Brian Lawton, our guest on leadoff, Sportsnet 590. The fans, something to chew on, brought to you by Great Canadian Meat. It feels, and uh, I could obviously be quite wrong about this, but it feels like the long-term play this Stanley Cup playoffs is for a Vegas-Tampa Bay Stanley Cup final. That being said, um, obviously the Knights still have to dust off the avalanche and then would have to get through Montreal. Who presents the best challenge to Tampa Bay? Is it Boston or the Islanders? I actually think, well, right now it's clearly the Islanders, and I say that because the Bruins have done an amazing job this year of transitioning out of two veteran D where they used trades and some of their depth to cobble together a decor that's played really, really well. But with the loss of Brandon Carlo, it has not looked as pretty. They have struggled in their own end, and that could be the death of them. If they didn't have that loss and he was healthy, I would say it was Boston. But right now, you know, it's the Islanders, another one of those teams that, you know, is a little bit of the antithesis of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Really have any superstar players, no just respect to Matt Barzell. He could develop into that guy. Um, But in the system he's playing in, they ask him specifically not to worry about scoring as many points as you can. Let's just worry about winning. And that works beautifully for Barry Trotz and Lou Lamarillo. So I would say right now the New York Islanders are in the best shape to take on the Tampa Bay Lightning, and yet I think that would be a really, really tall task for them to defeat the Lightning in a seven-game series. Speaking about Barry Trotz, what did you think about him, I guess, working the officials in a sense without working the officials? Was that all kind of planned, do you think? And was Bruce Cassidy right with his comments towards what the officials took from Barry Trotz and how the games were officiated? Uh, I don't have any problem with the gamesmanship. What I think really set Bruce Cassidy off was a response in regard to Patrice Bergeron. The opposing coach calls him out for being a cheater, and he gets thrown out of the first three face-offs. The next game, that's ludicrous to me. 
<laughs> that is just ludicrous. I'm sorry, but and I love he Barry, does cheat. He does cheat a lot. Being. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'd like to think the officials are on top of it before the opposing coach yeah. calls them out. So the totality of how it came around, you know, I think I really think that's what set off the Boston Bruins. The whole thing about the Saints. I mean, you watch tonight. That is not going to be a oh, good boy. move, I don't think, for the Boston Bruins. There will be thousands of people that show up with Saints jerseys tonight <laughs> for oh, the yeah. New York Islanders. They're going to they're going to be wired. It's going to be even more wild than it's been. But hey, we'll we'll see how that plays out tonight. It's almost like the Islanders fan base. It, cult's the the wrong word, but it's almost like cult like to be part of it because. They're kind of the forgotten team. They don't play in Manhattan. It didn't really work out in Brooklyn. They're waiting for their new rink, but they're back on Long Island. And when their fans are into it, and like I'm not old enough to remember their Stanley Cup days, Brian, but I am plenty old enough to remember the 2002 playoff series between the Leafs and the Islanders. And that was a seven-game homer series. The Leafs didn't win a game at the Nassau Coliseum. And that place was rabid and rocking. And that was a nasty series. I, I think Islanders fans are special, man. Like, I, I, they are committed to the cause. They are committed. I, I think it's going to be a real tough place for Boston to walk into tonight, especially because they smell blood. They know their team can advance. Exactly. And, you know, they, it, they are a rabid fan base. And they're getting closer to the promised land with their new rink at Belmont, which will be done next year. And that's going to be terrific. But, you know, Lou Lamarillo, I think he's 79 years old now. Uh, Barry Trotz, one of the best humans uh, in the game. Uh, There's a lot of experience there. And those guys, they understand how to win. Everybody in Toronto, you know, obviously got a glimpse of Lou. He's going to do things his way. Uh, And when it doesn't work out, it can be a little gross. But he gets it done, and the New York Islands are a reflection of his personality. Now, this is probably some of Lou's best work, to be honest with you, for what he's done with this hockey club. I mean, it's just really impressive how they've just found piece after piece. I mean, Pajo, everybody remembers what he did in almost leading them or being one of the main contributors in Ottawa to potentially – upset the Pittsburgh Penguins. They lost in game seven, but Lou goes out and handpicks everyone and they get a role and they understand their role and they follow it to a T. It's impressive. I have to say that very, very impressive. Got to be willing to shave your beard. If you're going to be a New York yeah, Islander, I, there you go. No facial he, hair here. Shave he, those side, trim those sideburns Mattingly. That's what people say, but I will say this about Lou. He has a way with players that connects with them too. And even though a lot of guys joke about that on other teams, I think there's a lot of guys right now that would be delighted to shave their beard to still be playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs and have a chance to advance to the semifinals like they do. So there, there's some oddities with Lou. There's no doubt about it. But uh, when you get results, it's kind of like Bull Durham, a little fungus on the shoes and the minors is gross. But when you're in your show winning, it looks pretty damn good. Great stuff, Brian. Thank you for doing this. We'll uh, chat again in the not-too-distant future. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Brian Lawton is a, a former NHL GM. He was the first overall pick in 1983's NHL draft and does a lot of work with our buddy Adnan Verk.
on the NHL Network. Dan Schulman on... Now, there have been some ugly losses for the Blue Jays in the last three, three and a half weeks, a lot of late bullpen meltdowns. It happened again last night, but I don't think that's where the Jays lost the game. It was a disappointing defeat in Chicago. We'll get into it and where I think the Jays lost it with Dan Schulman next. Waking up and uh, tuning in. The Blue Jays fell 6-1 in Chicago last night. And chances are you may have gone to bed. And the score was 1-0 Toronto because that sack fly by Jonathan Davis in the second inning held up until the seventh. Robbie Ray was awesome. 13 strikeouts, no walks in six and a third innings. He pitched so well, he deserved to be able to give up a solo home run, which he ultimately did in the bottom of the seventh inning and not have it wreck the night. Uh, but unfortunately, it did as he was out of the game. And then in the eighth inning, Trent Thornton and Carl Edwards Jr. coughed up a five spot. Chicago 6, Toronto 1. Dan Schulman, the play-by-play voice of the Blue Jays here on Sportsnet, joins us now. Uh, always good to chat, uh, Dan. And, and I, first of all, before we get into last night's game, I don't know if these weekly visits are mandatory. But unlike Aaron Rodgers, who is skipping mandatory minicamp with Green Bay. We appreciate you showing up nonetheless. You know, I remember the first time I met you, we, we talked down in Dunedin. Well, I remember we were leaning over the railing down at spring training, and I walked away saying, well, he's a really nice guy. Like, I haven't really gotten to know him before, and, and I, I'd, like to, I'd like to retract that. I'd like to strike that <laughs> comment from the record. <laughs> hey, Favre used to skip those things, and they found out how much they loved Rogers. Maybe, uh, maybe you'll grow right. to love the next guy. Huh? That, that's right. Um, yeah, but is the next guy Jordan Love? Or yeah, we don't know. That's well. Are we going to love love, right? So we, we, we don't know what's going on. But if you like uncertainty, drama, and chaos, the Green Bay Packers are the team for you. There you go, baby. You'll be our, you'll be our fall-time uh, Packers correspondent. Okay, <laughs> right. so last night's game. There have been some heartbreakers over the last three, three and a half weeks, thanks to the bullpen. And while the bullpen might get the headlines for the late game problems last night, Dan, this game to me was lost when Carlos Rodon was on the ropes, essentially each of the five innings he threw last night and the Jays came away with the one run. And in particular, because Rodon seemed to be on the ropes a lot, with the good part of the order up. He had Teoscar and Randall totally confused, and uh, some other guys couldn't come up with a big hit to really blow it open either. Yeah, I I kind of agree. I kind of don't. I, I definitely agree that they needed to do, and we talked about it, constantly during the game they needed to you know get a run here a run there get somebody to come up with a hit to drive in a couple of runs one for 12 with runners in scoring position generally loses you ball games but i will say they've been really good in, in that respect they've been uh, significantly above average in that respect over the course of the season and the other thing is let's say it's even three you know three to nothing and then it's three to one when the homer gets hit and then dolice comes in and and the inning goes as, and maybe it wouldn't i know you can't 
retrace things. But if that Dolis inning goes the way that it goes, even if he gets out of it and it's 3-1 to one going to the 8th, somebody's got to come in and pitch the 8th inning. Because the idea was for Dolis and Romano to get the last 8 outs, and Dolis torpedoed that idea with the inning that he had. And, and this is one of the problems. He didn't give up any runs, but when he walks guys and throws that many pitches, he alters the plans behind him. So I don't know if it would have been Thornton in a 3-1 to one game. Probably. If it was him in a 1-1 one, one game, it probably would have been him. So I think the result might have been the same. So I agree with you. They needed to do more with runners in scoring position, but the bullpen is a major problem right now, and it's cost them, I don't know, three, four games in the last couple of weeks. Um, and they're in a really tough stretch. White Sox, Red Sox, who knows what the Yankees will be like by the time they get to them. We've all talked about Baltimore coming and the easy schedules coming, and that's great, but they got nine games between now and then, and they got to find a way to keep their heads above water during this stretch. Were you surprised to see uh, Trent Thornton instead of Mesa or Castro? Just Charlie, no confidence in them, or was that a kind of a tryout for Thornton in a high leverage situation? Uh, I was a little surprised. I thought it would be Castro. In my mind, I thought that in Charlie's mind, Castro was number three. Now, maybe mm-hmm. something was going on with Castro. That's the, you know, that sometimes you don't know that. Mesa, to me, is in a bit of a tough spot. If you look at the Astros, and if you look at the Yankees, and if you look at the White Sox, they're so heavily right-handed hitting that it almost takes Mesa out of the equation a little bit. Like, he would, if he would have come in, he would have faced three right-handed batters. So um, I think they were going to stay away from Mesa. And, and it's a little bit tricky because you want to use the guy, but there aren't, the, the matchups aren't as desirable. But I, I thought it would be Castro, to be honest with you. I actually thought it might be Castro to come in after Ray and then Dolis, mm-hmm. and then Romano. Um, so I will ask today about Castro. Um, I watched Charlie's post-game Zoom, which I generally am not on because I'm driving home then, and there were no questions about that. And, and you know, when your bullpen's going good, everything, you know, everything goes great. When your bullpen is not going well, you, you know, then there are obviously a lot of questions. But I, I was, yes, I was a little surprised it wasn't Castro uh, over Thorne because that's not been the typical situation in which we've seen Trent Thorne. And I, I think the bigger, with no disrespect to any of the names mentioned, Dan, I, I think the bigger statement to make is we're throwing names out of guys who, in a lot of cases, you'd prefer not to have out there in those high leverage situations right. at any point. Like, right, why yeah, wasn't so, it Castro? Yep. Well, we'd prefer it never have to be. No disrespect. Exactly. But if you have Merriweather, if you have Baraki, then they're there with Romano and. Chatwood, if he can get back to being that first six weeks of the season guy, then it looks a lot better. Exactly. When when Castro came up or first you know showed up and started doing great, he would have been number five or six among the righties on the depth chart. Um, and, and and you're exactly right. Guys are being asked to do more than they're supposed to do. It's like taking you know a panic or an espinal and making them an absolute everyday player. It's not really what they're you know where they're supposed to be right now you know and the, the hidden loss too and, and you're exactly right about Barucky and Merriweather um, David Phelps is another loss I mean David Phelps was a rock solid guy uh, not necessarily in the ninth inning but you could throw him in there but he would have been perfect last night whether it was before Dolis or after Dolis and then and, and that's another loss as well so they are in April, they were great. They had the best bullpen ERA in baseball for several weeks, and you knew that wasn't sustainable. But bullpens are funny; um, it, it, they can they can crumble. You know, sometimes the results are good, but you can see little cracks in the ice, and and 
the, the cracks started happening when the injuries started happening, and they got propped up, you know, by Castro and Bergen and Piamps. They propped them up for a while, but you knew eventually things would turn. I, I didn't know that they would turn this badly. Hopefully they can get it turned around or at least find a way to win a few of these games over the next week. This might be... Uh, well, this would be something that that old school Blue Jays fans who go almost back to the start with this team uh, would recall. It do do you think that there are fair comparisons to make between this team this year, Dan, and the nineteen eighty three Blue Jays? Just because it it feels like they're just short, at least right now on the pitching side, but yep. they're very close. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do actually, now, and haven't thought about that. But so, so for people who don't remember, '85 was the first, or weren't around. '85 was the first year they made the playoffs, and in '85 they propped up their bullpen. And one of the reasons was Tom Hankey showed up. They called him up in the middle of the year, and he was terrific. But you're right. In '83 they were closing. Let's see, with guys like Joey McLaughlin and Roy Lee Jackson, if my memory is right, they didn't really have a great end of the bullpen. They had good starting pitchers and they had a lot of offense and a, and a, and a, a young core. So yeah, I think there are some good comparisons there. And all you have to do is, is look at the Astros over the weekend or look at the White Sox now. And you can see those are teams at different stages in their contending window. The Astros are obviously offensively a very mature team. And again, I understand all the jokes about garbage cans and so forth, but they're really good. And um, the top six in the order are great. And five of the six are veteran hitters who give you tough at-bats every single time. Um, the, where the Astros have been great is they've got young pitching, young starting pitching that's helped them. The White Sox have a good lineup, I would say comparable to the Blue Jays. They have a great rotation, the best rotation in the American League. Five guys who have made, I think, 57 of the 61 starts or something like that. They've been really good. And their bullpen right now, as currently constructed, is better than the Blue Jays. So the White Sox, are, to me, are a, a good model, maybe a year ahead of the Blue Jays on that contending, in that contending window, if you will. And, and I know I've been saying it kind of ad nauseum, but this Blue Jay team is not fully formed. They are not what they are going to be. This year, yeah, you want to contend, but I think also it's the year where the front office finds out exactly what they have and what they need, and they have very targeted acquisition efforts in the offseason. And they, they have a pretty good idea, I think, what they need right now. Riley Adams making his major league debut last night goes one for three. I love when they pan to the family and the parents. Yeah. That's probably the best part of it. Is there an opportunity for Adams with, with Jansen out? And we don't know really where Kirk's at right now. Yeah, I, I think so because, and, and I, I'm a big fan of Danny Jansen's. I think he's, um, you know, an important uh, person in that clubhouse, but he just hasn't hit. And, and uh, yes, I think there's a chance. Um, if, if Adams does well, I think he stays, and whether it's for Jansen or whether it's for McGuire, who knows? And then Kirk hopefully back is hopefully back in a few weeks, but we don't know that right now, um, as is the case with injuries these days. So yes, there is a chance with him. I, I think he'll he won't play tonight. McGuire will catch tonight, but Adams I believe will catch tomorrow. There's another lefty on the mound uh, for the White Sox with Dallas Keuchel, and and I think he'll catch when every lefty is in there, and, and if he hits, he'll play. Um, the, the, the reviews of his work behind the plate were positive last night from both Charlie Montoyo and Robbie Ray. And, yes, there, there is an opportunity there because no, you know, nobody else has done enough 
to just take the job and run with it unless Kirk comes back and starts hitting like crazy again. So, yeah, I, I think there is an opportunity. I'll put you on the spot just to, toward the end of your uh, second-to-last answer there, Dan, that the front office probably has a pretty good idea of what it needs. What would you say is the need or if you were to prioritize the top two needs of this team right now? Like going for this season or going into next season? Going forward. Like if they're not, if they're getting there, but not quite there yet. And this coming off season is going to matter a lot in terms of getting to that next rung or two on the ladder. What will they target? Um, I think in no particular order, if that's okay, I think they will target a third baseman. Um, I think it's possible Kevin Biggio could be their second baseman next year, and I think it's possible he could be kind of the you know the 10th man, the utility guy who plays a bunch of different spots. I don't think he's their third baseman going forward. Now, maybe it's Groshans or Martin by next year, but uh, somebody's got to be, in my opinion, a third baseman. Um, it, we don't know what will happen with Mats and Ray. They're both free agents at the end of the season, but if you don't retain them, you've got to at least replace them. Um, you know, there's a lot of work to do. This is not, again, this is not a team that is right on the cusp yet. There's work to do. So you've got to at least maintain and hopefully improve your starting rotation. And then, you know, obviously the bullpen. So uh, bullpens are tricky because there's more, um, you know, ups and downs for relievers than any other than position players or starting pitchers. You know, look at Chatwood just in the last few weeks as an example. But, um, you, you know, they've, They've got some guys with injury histories, and at some point you, you, they're either healthy or you've got to, you know you can't count on them as much. So I think they've got to get you know two or three legit, high leverage, proven and with good health records kind of guys for the bullpen. And sometimes you got to pay for those guys. Maybe you don't need to go out and get a closer if you think it's Romano, but you need to go out and get. Uh, two or three guys who can get you from the starter to the closer, the kind of the job, you know, Delise is doing right now. And that Chatwood was doing a great job of until a couple of weeks ago. You need that, those, you know, the seventh and eighth inning, they've got to shore up the seventh and eighth inning. Yeah, I just, I, I, I just listening to you talk there. I wonder if Robbie Ray is a guy who, if he falls into the Taiwan Walker type scenario where it's time to give him term and at a reasonable number, I, I, like I have, if he continues down this path, I have no problem doing that. Matt's for me is more of an interchangeable part, and in a really good rotation, is probably a five. Yeah, and that depends. So the great question there is Manoa and perhaps Pearson. What will they be by the end of this season? You know, if Manoa is good enough to be a two or a three, Matt slides down to a four. So, uh, you know, that helps as well. And and they. You know, there's there's another wave of prospects coming, as we've talked about in Groshans and Martin and Moreno and Woods Richardson and hopefully Pearson and and. But will any of them be able to take on major roles by opening day next year? I don't think we know that right now. So, um, but yeah, I'm I'm with you on Ray and term. And l- listen, Robbie Ray's going to get paid this winter. He signed a one-year, eight million dollar deal. I believe he'll get a two or three year deal for a significant increase from eight million a year. And the question is, he clearly loves Pete Walker and sign and being with the Blue Jays, he clearly sees it as a boost to his career. He was the first free agent to sign in the whole sport in the off season. But now if somebody throws crazy money at him, does he say to himself, I, I got this now, I figured it out, and, I, and I'm going to go to that team? Oh, we don't know that. They, they could be having conversations as we speak, but he has been 
uh, for people who didn't watch the game last night, he was fantastic. Probably his best start of the season. And that's saying something, given given how good he's been. And, and as you said, Scotty, going way back to the beginning, if they'd hit earlier, he'd have walked off the mound feeling great. Maybe they would have won the game, and we'd be having a totally different conversation right now. But he, he deserves uh, every bit of credit that he's getting for what he's done this season. Love it, Dan. Thanks for this. We'll talk next week. All right, guys. Have a good one. Dan Schulman, play-by-play voice of the Blue Jays on Sportsnet. Jays and Alec Manoa into Chicago to take on the White Sox and Lance Lynn a little bit after 8 o'clock tonight, Blue Jays Central at 7.30 with Jamie Campbell and Joe Siddle. We are back tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock. Let's hope the CN Tower behaves itself tonight. Don't need any more faux outrage. Good show's next. Happy hump day. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if... Uh... I don't know quite, I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. They're stupid.